Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for listening. This is Mike from the Main Push Podcast. That is right. We're going to be talking about all kinds of different angles in the wrestling business today. We're going to be talking about stuff from the past, the present, and the future. The future as what's going on in AEW, what's going to happen at WWE and NXT. This is what I love. This is what you want to hear. So let's cut the crap and let's talk wrestling. Welcome back to a brand new episode of The Main Push. This is your host, Mike, and I'm happy once again to bring you back in, Matt, uh, the Prime Minister of Wrestling Knowledge of Landscaping here. So I'm glad to have you back so we could cover what we didn't get to cover last night, in which that was uh, WWE, the Crowd Jewel uh, pay-per-view. Yeah, it's good to be back. Uh, enjoyed last night a lot. Glad to be back in here doing this again. Uh, did some... Uh, had to rewatch a little bit of Crown Jewel to make sure I was kind of, you know, dialed in on what I was wanting to talk about. Uh, for the most part, there's only really three matches that jumped out at me. But, uh, you know, other people, you know, you might want to talk about something else, and that's cool. Um, it's, uh, you know, uh, this is, you know, you know, back in the day, WWE used to have a, uh, like a, a pay-per-view called like Blood Money or something like that. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. they, al- they always had those like hardcore, you know, uh, attitude era names for their pay-per-views. And one of them was blood money, which I think is hilarious because now they're actually doing one in Saudi Arabia and they don't call it blood money. <laughs> well, because you know, you, ha- you have to cover, I mean, yeah, you can't really use the blood money. I mean, because we're in the PG era of wrestling here, so they have to call it something else. They can't call it blood money. I guess Crowd Jewel, I guess, is the PG name for it now. Uh, the name, yeah, that's the that's the PG name for it. Whatever, it's it's getting it's getting somebody a fat check, so that's why they do it. Either way, I'm I'm anti them doing shows in Saudi Arabia. Period. But uh, that's just my politics. It has nothing to do with wrestling. So, yeah. Um, uh, I know. Was it? They normally do two shows in Saudi Arabia, uh, Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia a year, don't they? It's normally uh, two shows a year. There's at least one. Uh, one year they did one there, and then they did one Australia, which Australia is a different animal. That doesn't matter to me. If you want to go down there where the spiders are as big as dogs, that's your problem, not mine. Um, but it's you know, it's, you know, Australia doesn't have like you know some of the same issues that Saudi Arabia does. But I know that, like, Crown Jewel uh, has always been in Saudi Arabia. Uh, the first year they did it, they weren't even allowed to leave the airport immediately for, like, almost a day or something because of uh, some kind of money dispute between Vince McMahon and uh, the uh, government of Saudi Arabia. So that just goes to show you who they're dealing with, you know? Yeah, Vince McMahon's always in a dispute with somebody. If it's not steroids, then it's damn careers and it's damn legacies. I mean, I I ain't trying to shit on the guy, but you know, Vince McMahon just—I don't know—he he he definitely has rubbed people the wrong way throughout his whole life. So, yeah, he has, but he's also been very successful in doing it. So, what you know, what can you really say? You know, the guys, uh, guys, making a living, uh, more more, you know, more than more than he has to. So, you know, there's really, you know, can't knock a man for making a dollar. No, you can't. Um, and as you stated uh, before, that um, 
there's about 10 matches that happened on this card on this night, but we're only going to cover a few, the, you know, the important elements that you felt that was important. And so will I, but I'll just state the mat, the match card. Um, okay. We, yeah, we go got uh, on the, yeah, let's go over this winner. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Let, let, let's, let's go after this fucking Emmy award winning grand slam here. Um, the, it started off on the pre-show. You got Jay and Jimmy Uso. Uh, they first the Hurt Business. It was okay. Cedric Alexander and Sheldon Benjamin. That was the pre-show. Sure. And then the second match. The second match after that was Edge versus Seth Rollins. That was the Hell in the Cell, which I was I was looking at forward to that one because I'm hoping that this will end the feud because the feuds are supposed to end in Hell in the Cell. But as you know, times have changed and they tampered with that shit. I don't know how many times. And then um, the next match after that, I guess, is like Saudi Arabia's own. Is it? Is it named Mansoor versus Mansoor. Mustafa Ali? Mansoor versus Mustafa Ali, and that match actually made sense to me because it's in Saudi Arabia. It's also the yeah, first exactly. time that uh, in WWE that they've had two uh, Muslim wrestlers fighting each other on a pay per view. And they did it in Saudi Arabia, so that makes sense. I get that. Yeah. Okay. And then uh, for the Raw Tag Team Championship, you got AJ Styles and it's almost or almost. I don't know. Almost. Almost. So, and then uh, versus was it RK Bro, Randy Orton and Riddle. So, and then um, the next match after that was is it the Queen's Crown Tournament? You had. Selena Vega versus Dude versus Dude Drop, and yeah. we're already we're already five matches in on the card. I want to apologize match. to all the people who tune in for their Dude Drop news. Um, I know that we have uh, you know, uh, I mean, of the long list of 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 listeners and and supporters that we have, um, you know, there is a huge contingent that are huge, huge, huge Dude Drop fans. And, uh, you know, I'm sorry, but this match just didn't make the cut this week. And, uh, I, no, you know, I, 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 you know, maybe one day when we have unlimited funds and we can, we can do a five hour podcast or whatever, then maybe we can cover every match. But, uh, until that point, we have to pick the highlights. And, and unfortunately, Dewdrop versus Malachi Black's wife didn't feed the bulldog this weekend. So, okay. Well, you know, when Deuce Drop was on TV on this pay-per-view, I was making a Deuce Drop, okay? So this shit wasn't even important to me, you know? <laughs> so anyways, we're going to go on to the next one. We got Goldberg defending the right of his little-born, seven-out, eight-pound baby boy. Yeah. <laughs> Laying there uh, in his uh, golden crib. Yeah. So he's defending the rights to his little minor baby boy versus Bobby Lashley. And this must be in the no holds barred falls count anywhere match. And I'm going to cover that spot. Um, and then the next one after that, we got the King of the Ring finals match, Xavier Woods versus Finn Balor. And I know you want to touch up on that one. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The, I, both of those deserve some attention for different reasons. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Go ahead. No, no, that's it. I, I will. I will. We'll. 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 We'll prolong the magic and let that. Let that simmer for a minute. Yeah. So, um, speaking about the magic flowing, um, Biggie 
versus Drew McIntyre for the WWE Championship. And I know you wanted to cover that. And yeah, um, yeah, yeah. We had the three-way SmackDown Women's Championship. We had Becky Lynch versus Bianca Belair and versus Sasha Banks. Sadly, we're not going to cover that match because, honestly, at this point, since Becky Lynch and Charlotte Flair have already been drafted to the other side of one of the brands of what they used to be on, because Becky Lynch was on SmackDown going to Raw, and Charlotte Flair was on uh, Rocco on the SmackDown. So when they did that shit, like, at this point, I'm like, they should have already done the fucking belt swap by, by then. So I just felt like this match wasn't really that important to me. And guess what they did Friday night? What was it Friday night? Yeah, it was, it was, Friday, it was night. Friday night, yeah. Yeah, the night after Crown Jewel, they finally did the fucking belt swap that they should have done in the first place. Yeah, and that so, wasn't that wasn't dramatic at all. But uh, yeah, whatever. I mean, it's 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 WWE, um, and it's how they book things, and it's it is what it is. So, and of course, um, the match we're both going to touch up on that I, we've both been looking forward to is yeah. um, Ro- Ro- Roman Reigns, you know, um, the Tribal Chief versus the Beast himself, Brock Lesnar, and. And we're going to get to that later because I don't want to go mouthing off too early on this because yeah, but there's a lot, I mean, there's a lot to talk about with that one though. There, I mean, we've got exactly some buildup. We've got some after afterwards, we've got some whatever, but uh, there's a lot to talk about with that match. And uh, you know, this is uh, one of those few times where it feels like that. Uh, well, I just, I won't even get into it now. We'll just wait. We'll just wait. Because I don't, okay, wanna, um, I, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to hit on the end stuff when we're at the beginning. So, exactly. Um, and if I'm going by the match card, um, I'm going to be up on board here first because we had, yeah, with well, the uh, they did this the, with the, the Edge versus Seth Rollins in the Hell in the Cell. Yeah, as the first actual official match of this huge pay per view. They didn't have Dewdrop versus Zelina Vega. No, no, not for the warm-up or whatever. No, they had <laughs> Edge versus Seth Rollins in hell in a cell. Because why not? Um, but, yeah, no, I, again, it's just I don't get it. I thought you built a show up in intensity. You know, you're okay, Mike, you're, you're, you've watched WrestleMania almost as long as I have. Um I've been I've been to a WrestleMania thirteen. Yeah, Bret Hart versus yeah Bret Hart yeah. versus Steve Austin. You saw one live. I didn't. I've never got to do that. And yeah, but I mean, but you've watched them like on pay per view or on VHS or whatever. Generally, the first match is at WrestleMania is the one that was at the bottom of the poster or the bottom of the match card on the back of the box for the movie, right? Like it was yeah. the Canadians or the the. Uh, the, whatever the French Quebecers versus the Killer Bees back in the eighties or something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean it. It had no bearing on anything, but it could be a decent match. And uh, WWE now loves to front load their card, even when it starts at eleven a.m. Um, 
you know, in the middle of the week with Edge versus Seth Rollins in Hell in a Cell. For then, this is the third match. This is the one that should, like you said, this should settle the feud. Yeah. So I again, I I I don't get paid, you know, tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars to make these decisions. So I obviously don't know what I'm talking about. Well, here's the thing. This this another thing you got to take in the notion here that um, is it totally WWE's fault that. Crown Jewel is airing in America at 11 a.m. Uh, Central Standard Time because actually when you think about the time difference, if we're like at 11 o'clock in the morning, I'm not, I'm not in the afternoon, but yeah, in the morning, then they're already like at damn, I don't know, like at 6, 7 o'clock at night well, okay, in Saudi Arabia. That's fine, but why do you open your card? with one of the biggest matches on the card. Why do you not open it with something to, you know, okay, just to keep people coming along? You know what I mean? And then build the card up as it goes. That's my only question. Okay, well, uh, here's here's a question for you. Out of all of the matches that's on this card, what, what match would you start it off first? I would have started off with Ali versus Mansoor, if it was anywhere but Saudi Arabia. In Saudi Arabia. Okay. In Saudi Arabia, I probably would have started. I would have been very likely to start with AJ Styles and Omos versus RK Bro, just because that one has it doesn't have the cultural significance, and then it doesn't like you're just putting the women out to pasture. You know what I mean? Um, oh yeah. So uh, that's probably what I would have done. But again, I have no professional booking experience. Just you know, thirty seven years of watching this crap. So. And honestly, I think this is why we're doing this podcast tonight because great minds think alike. Because I, I mean, I, I would have answered the same way. I would have started off with RK Bro versus AJ Styles and almost or whatever, or Mansoor or whatever oh, versus Mustafa Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, <laughs> and again, I understand. I, I think that the the Ali versus Mansoor match it has way more significance because of the area that it's taking place in. And it was a good, it was a good, it yeah. was a good match. Don't get me wrong, it was a good match, but uh, it, it's it's it means more in in Dubai, Saudi Arabia, than it does in uh, Birmingham, Alabama. You know what I mean? So yeah, you know that's just that's just a question of ge- geography, I guess. So exactly. Um. Okay. Well. Let's start it off. Let's start off with Edge versus Seth Rollins in the Hell in the Cell. And then I'm going to go into basics of how this all started, I guess where it began, and what Edge has gone through to get to this point. But um, before the match started, you know, they had they did that history bio videos between the two to show how this feud started and what led up to the feud on tonight's card. Well, it showed that Edge cut a promo stating the fact that the feud started seven years ago, but before we get to this feud, what led up to this point? After seven years, uh, Edge wants to get back at Seth Rollins after after all this time. Um, Edge cuts that promo, um, and Seth Rollins was it? Uh, it shows it shows seven years ago in that shot where Seth Rollins 
has his foot on the neck of Edge with his face planted on top of the money in the bank briefcase or whatever. I didn't know what happened in that spot seven years ago because I wasn't watching WWE seven years ago, but they showed that shot in there. Um, But at the time when it happened, he was already forced to retire. Am I correct? Because of his neck injury? He was already retired at that point. He just came out and did a spot. Okay. So... At that time, he was already forced to retire uh, because of his, uh, his 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 neck history, where he was wasn't medically clear to wrestle anymore. But Edge never gave up hope. He kept training, tried to figure out a way to get better, traveled to see uh, multiple neck specialists to treat his condition. Uh, he was finally medically cleared to compete in the wrestling ring once again, and he came back and made his debut at the return of the Royal Rumble in two thousand and twenty. Yeah, and we were watching. So what, that. We were watching that. Yeah, um, we're, yeah, we're watching that. Yeah, yeah, we actually got to watch that together, and I remember the huge pop when Edge's and you and I kind of just looked at each other. You know what I mean? Because we're honestly, we were the only two in the rooms who, who only two in the room who knew what that meant. And uh, I think we're the only two in the room that actually gave a shit. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, that's also true, but. uh <laughs> You know, but we were. We were the only two in the room that knew what was going on, that who that meant was coming back. And uh, to be 100% transparent, Edge was a guy that I had missed a lot of his initial run because it, it was when the business had hit a place where I wasn't paying as much attention uh, because of the, the content. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. It was when Russo was doing a lot of the writing. And... Uh, it was a lot of girls going wild type crap that I just didn't, I didn't want my wrestling. That was it pretty much. So, uh, but <clears throat> that's neither here nor there. I still knew who edge was, you know? Yeah. Oh yeah. And, and edge came out and that pop he got and the look that edge had that he still has, he still had it for this, for this pay-per-view. He didn't look like that young guy anymore. He didn't look old. He looks like grizzled. He looks like he's been through some, he's seen some shit, man. You know what I mean? He's seen some shit. And, uh, it was, uh, you know, edges. I, I like the way that they're framing edges character right now. Well, going back to the look, what's when he entered into that Royal rumble, what, what affected me the most on that is the shock look when he was coming out on his entrance oh, and, yeah. the, and, entrance, and he just had like his, his eyes were just open wide and you could just see the emotion fly because they embroiled it into edges mind that there was no chance that he was ever going to compete in the wrestling ring, but he got greedy. Yeah. But, which, you know, that greedy wasn't a bad thing. It's just, this is what he loves to do. Edge no, he- was met to, to, you know, to be in the wrestling business because what, because what, because the, what he brings to the table. I mean, he's, he's the whole fucking tool bag of fucking goods, you know, like, I, I mean, I just, he, he brings so much and just his history of what he has brought to the business and the stuff that he just elevated, not only on himself, but, you know, of course, with, you know, with the brood and he was with his tag team partner, a Christian. And of course, at one time he had the tag 
you know, team partner. Like, um, what was it with uh, with Randy Orton? What was their stable R- name? Uh, RK, R- uh, rated RKO. That's what it was. Okay, but it's just, it's like, I, I can't, I can't, I don't have the perfect words to describe it. Just once when Edge came out and he had that look, and he, and I mean, he was like soaking in. He was looking around. Like, he can't believe it. It just really hit him emotionally. He went down on his knees and kind of will start crying or whatever. And, of course, he pulled up to the sky and the pyro went off and everything. You could tell that, man, he was just loving that moment, just happy to be back after all the fucking sugar-coated doubts that he was that he was never going to return. So, um, so once when he returned, he tried to go after the main prize, which any wrestler would, and – and that's that. That is wanting to do at this point is win the Royal Rumble. I mean, he didn't accomplish it on this return because Drew McIntyre won the 2020 Royal Rumble, but he held on in that Royal Rumble match for a very long time, as long as he could. Yeah. And Edge went on, and of course, and then after that, Edge went on and having a feud between Randy Orton. I believe it was hopping on for the remaining of the year because. I think he took some time off because I think he got hurt again or something like that. But then he came back to enter the 2021 Royal Rumble, and Edge was able to accomplish that he that he didn't do the previous year before on his return, and that was winning the whole Rumble Royal Rumble to guarantee him a main event spot for the title of his choosing at WrestleMania. It right. wasn't forced, but it was forced into a triple threat at WrestleMania between Daniel Bryan. AKA Brian Danielson, Roman Reigns, and Edge. So Edge never got that one-on-one title match, what was rightfully deserved to him, because uh, he did win the Royal Rumble. So fast forward to where he finally got that one-on-one match. Um, it was at this past year's Money in the Bank pay-per-view. It was Edge versus Rollins for the Universal Championship. Well, then that's when Seth Rollins comes back into play after seven years. Because this is where it all started once again. Because Seth Rollins interfered in that match, costing Edge uh, from winning the Universal Championship. So, so of course, now Edge wants to go after Seth Rollins at this point. Because it seems like Rollins can't leave him alone. Uh, he did leave him alone seven years ago in that spot, and he can't today. So this for Rollins was like an itch that you want to scratch. You could that, sense, yeah, yeah, you could sense and see the jealousy for Rollins, uh, the Eagle stats toward Edge. He's upset because he was gone a long time, and he got the title shot when Seth Rollins felt like it was rightfully. It was rightfully Rollins' turn, but I didn't really see it that way. But Ed, because Edge worked for that opportunity, he went through the proper steps. His title shot wasn't handed to him like it would, let, let, let's just say how it would hand it to like Brock Lesnar or John Cena, just randomly show up after a year and a half of being gone. No, it didn't happen that way. That's not what's happening here. So no. um, I'm going st- to stick to the point. Uh, they had their ongoing feud. Um, Edge versus Rollins had their match at at SummerSlam, and Edge beat Rollins. It was a solid match, uh, and nothing over the moon, but it was enough to carry on, from what I understand. So, um, and then they had their follow up match at Madison Square Garden on September 11th, 
on SmackDown this past year. And that's when Seth Rollins won that match with the curb stop finisher, which Edge had to be carried out on the stretcher by the EMTs, not knowing Edge is going to return or not, because you could see how it was being sold to the audience that Edge might might be gone for some time, and you don't know when he was going to return. Yeah, that so, was it. Yeah, so Rollins got even greedier, and he just didn't want to leave Edge alone. He wasn't finished with him yet. He wanted that third match. So he's looking high and low at SmackDown arenas. He's asking the official staff, uh, people in charge. He's looking for Edge because he wants he, he wants them to answer to his challenge. So uh, they have the spot where Seth Rollins couldn't find Edge. So he had to do what I guess he felt like he had to do, and that was show up at his house. So uh, he crossed that line, um, of course, as you can see it, because he did the B&E. He went inside, Edge not knowing if his wife and kids are at home um, and if they're in danger with Seth Rollins just being at, at, at Edge's house. So um, Edge comes after Rollins the next week after that on SmackDown and answers his challenge and says, hell in the cell. In which I said I love because it states in my previous uh, episodes that Hell in the Cell is meant for ending feuds. So that's what led up to this point at the Saudi Arabia pay-per-view at Crown Jewel. And um, and, that's, and we already talked about this, but I have this in my notes, that I'm surprised that this was an opening match, but I guess I, in a way I kind of understand it, but you could have done it with, with the other two previous matches that, that we've talked about that, that could have fit that number one slot. Because you want your audience to get su- uh, sucked in, you want them to get excited. Because you don't want them, you 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 don't want all of a grand slam matches toward the end. Because the audience might lose their energy for a pop call, for a pop or a reaction, etc. Plus, um, people got <laughs> people got to use the bathroom and get their hot dogs, popcorn, merchandise, etc., beer. Uh, so you want the main match. And the next to follow up is the bathroom break match, which no disrespect to the next match. But after this, I totally understand why it followed up on this card. So, um, so let's get into the match. Um, Let's see. uh, The bell rings, both men are in the ring. And then I said, I noticed that this is a hell in a cell match, but I'm not trying to be sexist here. But But did you see that there was a female official in the hell in the cell match? Yeah, I noticed it, and um, there a female officials are as good as male officials. There is no differentiation. Some are probably better. Um, so don't misunderstand my, what I'm saying here. It just seems like if we're having a combat-oriented athletic competition, and we're having it in a Hell in a Cell match, which is in theory the most dangerous conventional wrestling match you, that you can have. We're not talking about barbed wire, exploding barbed wire or piranha tank around the ring or alligators at the corners or some shit like that. I mean, just if we're talking about regular wrestling matches, Hell in a Cell is the most dangerous match there can be. Why would you send a lady in there unless she was just adamant that she wanted to, and maybe she was, mm-hmm. um, that she wanted to re- she wanted to ref this match? It, it feels – maybe it's more inclusive than I realize. Uh, maybe I'd, maybe it's something I'm just – I'm not. there's not an angle I'm seeing here. But 
<clears throat> it just feels like a bad move. Yeah, um, it does. It feels like a bad move. It feels like it's uh, more of a, gosh, I don't know what to say, but uh, it, 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 if they had done this 20 years ago, which is they done a lot of things 20 years ago, people would have thought different, but uh, it was, you know, that was, I, I noticed it. I'll say that. Maybe it's just the old head in me, you know, but I noticed it. Well, I would say it would be the old head of me, too, because I have written down here that hell and the cell are meant for chaos, destruction, anything goes, etc. So I know there's some tough women out there, but in the most uh, in a more serious scenario, like for a match like hell in the cell, it's mostly a male official calling the match because there was no female officials really back in the day. And uh, they didn't trust the females to be ready to handle such chaos of a match like the Hell in the Cell. And I know times have changed, and I'm not expecting this Hell in the Cell match to be anything like 1998 or 2001 because WWE uh, takes the talent's safety more seriously today, I feel like, when back in the day when Vince McMahon was was back against the wall with WCW, he was willing to do – he was willing for anyone to do anything to beat WCW ratings. So the talent wanted to do crazier shit because uh, either they were hardcore batshit crazy or for whatever reason. I know me and you, Pac, we got spoiled on those Hell in the Cell matches, and I'm not expecting this match to be anything like in the past that we have grown up on, but because, goddamn, uh, those matches, you know, uh, they were over either... When they were over, you would have thought that the guy was either paralyzed or they had a... Uh, meeting with Jesus as soon as they get back to the locker room for crying out loud. Because th- that's how much of a chaos they were. Yeah, I mean, it's it was just a lot. And, uh, you know, I, I, Hell in a Cell just don't mean what you used to, like you said. And it's not, it doesn't carry the uh, the gravity, so to speak, that... Uh, it doesn't carry the gravity that it used to carry, so to, you know, so to say. Yeah. And uh, so, so now we just yeah. expect it to be a little bit rougher with some toys involved. Okay. So uh, starting off in the match, uh, they were trading punches, elbows, kicks, etc. cetera. Uh, Seth Rowan did a flying knee from the apron to Edge's face to reel him outside. Jeff tried to dive in between the ropes, but he dived into the cage. So, good counter reversal right there. Yeah. Uh, Edge smashed is smashed him on the cage, uh, right him into the middle stairs, trying to wear him down. Um, Rollins uh, trying to wear down Rollins very early to do collateral damage here. And speaking of that, um, Edge starts looking for multiple chairs underneath the ring and slides them into the ring. Edge broke the long bottom piece off the chair that he has been doing since WrestleMania and tries to execute that crossface with the metal bar, with the metal bar but Jeff Rollins reverses it trying to stab Edge in the right eye with it because that's what Seth loves to do is stab wrestler talents in the eye and send them home and hopefully they stay home. So, and then, uh, but Edge counters from it and Roll, Rollins hits uh, the swing blade. Yeah. He goes for the cover, but uh, Edge gets up before the three count. Rollins baseball slides uh, 
edge to the outside of the ring. Um, he starts running him into the cage, but so far I'm liking it because it's not just a one-man show so far. So um, after that, Edge base, baseball slides Rollins into the cage and brings him back into the ring, uh, works him into the corner and spears him into the corner. Uh, Seth Rollins made a comeback. It starts with the multiple chair shots to the back of, over and over and over and over. You're just getting that heat early on him. And the fans are chanting, you suck, you suck, you suck. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> so, I mean, um, they're firmly behind Edge. Yeah. So, next, uh, Rowan sets up Edge for uh, Edge's own move. What is it? Uh, the concerto? But Edge yeah. sweeps Rowan's – yeah, Edge sweeps Rowan down before executing it. Uh, and he, uh, he executes a crossface, but Seth Rollins grabs – a long broken piece of the chair and stabs Edge right in the face to break the hold. So and then he grabs the chair, hits him in the face with it. Rollins goes up for a frog splash, a frog splash, but Edge gets up before the three count. Yeah. Jeff Rollins goes to the outside, looks underneath the ring to see what he can use to start setting up, but he starts setting up tables on the outside. Um, he comes back in the ring, starts a uh, raking the eye that he used that metal piece on. And then uh, Rollins is looking for a buckle bomb into the corner, but Edge reverses it. And then Rowan, uh, Rollins turns Edge around to set him up for that, for the kill switch, I'm guessing. But Michael Cole is yelling off his ass that Rollins is using Edge's own move, but it was Christian Cage's finisher. And I mean, he, yeah, he was, I, calling it, he was calling it the unprettier. Which was okay. Tyler, which was Tyler Breeze's finishing move when he was in WWE, which will come up later. Okay, because that because that's what I was going to ask you because I don't ever recall I, I could ever think off the top of my head that the kill switch was ever Edge's finisher. So, um, but but you already you it, it was mostly the spear from what I remember. Um, yeah, but you know he had or they or he did have you know the. You know that DDT that he does, um, but it, it was. But for the most part, that that spear is what we saw Edge finish people with. Because um, I know in the beginning when he was with the Brood, I think he would do that move where he had the opponent on the top of his uh, on the top of his shoulders, and he would do like kind of like a like a front face splash or something like that. I know that was one of his moves when he had a couple of submission maneuvers, and and he did the spear. Everyone, he, that's that's one of his famous finishers, but. I just don't ever recall him ever doing the kill switch, really. So, yeah. Um, but that, um, that was Christian. Yeah. So Rollins goes after the pin, but Edge kicks out before the three count. Um, after he that so-called did his finisher or whatever, the fans are chanting at this point that this is awesome. Uh, but next, uh, this was an awesome spot, and I enjoyed it. Uh, Seth Rollins goes up to the top rope looking to execute uh, a moonsault on Edge of some sort. But Edge gets up quickly to push Rollins off the, the rope toward the direction of the cage cell. He goes face first into the cage and falls down on the tables that Rollins set up on the outside of the ring that he was going to use on Edge in the first place. So, yeah, I thought I thought that was cool. Um, next, Edge grabs the steel steps and brings it into the ring. 
he promised in this match that he was going to scare scar Seth Rollins' soul, and he was never going to be the same after this match. But but uh, Edge sets up the stairs into the ring and executes the Edge O magic on the steel steps. So um, another great spot. I'm looking forward to what Rollins and Edge are going to do next in this match. So Edge grabs a chair and carries it with him on the top row. And Edge plants the chair uh, by flying off the top rope onto Rollins while laying on top of the steel stairs. So and then, um, I mean, I, I enjoyed that, in which you, you don't really don't really see that that much in the wrestling match. Um, he goes for the pin, but Rollins kicks out. Edge is looking for the spear, in which Rollins counters with a super kick, kicks him in the in the dominant area. Um, Sets up Edge for the pedigree. Pack, I know we've had this conversation about this in the past, but this move is my least favorite finisher from Seth Rollins because it's a triple H finisher. And oh, you yeah. can't think of you can't you can't think of the pedigree without thinking about triple H. So No, you can't. It's like I mean if the news hadn't come out that Kevin Owens had asked Steve Austin to use the stunner then it would be hard to see anybody else do the stunner besides Steve Austin, you know? Um, yeah. And we, and we, and let's be honest, we do live in a time where finishers are not protected like they used to be. Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, in the good old days, you now we see, if you want to see super kicks, watch AEW. You'll see some. Exactly. Um, but back in the good old days, uh, Sweet Chin Music was the super kick, you know? And if Shawn Michaels hit you with that, that was probably it. Unless you were the Undertaker at WrestleMania, that was probably it. Well, I mean, Shawn Michaels, Shawn Michaels, he carried that super kick very well. And back in those times, you didn't see no one else doing a super kick other than Shawn Michaels because, man, that was just the finisher. And, I mean, back, back in those days, you didn't see other talents you really didn't see a whole lot of other talents carry on other people's finishers. They had their set, they had their gimmick, they had their own ways of doing things. And it, and I don't think they really tried to copycat other wrestlers other than too much, other than if, if you're thinking about bringing out a spot like fake Razor Ramon and fake Undertaker. I mean, other than that, I mean, they didn't really try to fucking uh, copycat too much stuff back then. No, they didn't. It used to be a lot more respect went on. And uh, it doesn't happen now, so. No. But um, going back to the pedigree, um, he does the pedigree. He goes for the pin, but he kicks out before three. So, Seth Rollins is uh, gets up looking for the stop, but Edge counters Rollins to two with the buckle bomb uh, and hits the rubs for the spear. Uh, Edge covers, and it's still not enough to put Rollins away at this point. Uh, so the next spot, Edge goes to the outside, and Edge is pulling out ta- uh, pulling out a table and brings it to the ring. And then he looks under the ring towards Rollins' head, and uh, and I guess it knocks him out. That, that's that's what I have written here. That might be a typo, but um, Edge sets up the ladder in the corner. Um, Edge looking for an Irish rip into the ladder, but Rollins reverses it. Rollins sets up the table in the middle of the ring. 
uh, rolls Edge on top of the table. And then he sets up the ladder close to the table. Rollins climbs up the ladder, and Edge climbs up the ladder as well. And Rollins executes a sunset powerbomb through the table. And it was a nice spot. Uh, Rollins goes – go ahead. That was a good spot. It was. It was It was well set up. Um, there was enough work that went in beforehand to make it make sense. How it uh, – you know, there are going to be these old guys, older guys or whatever, or certain guys. I shouldn't say older. Uh, that are going to say, well, that should have been the finish. But that's not really where we're at right now. you know. No, because I, I, I'm going to get into my notes here later on that what I feel like should be the finish. But uh, So anyways, he does a sunset powerbomb. Uh, Rollins covers up Edge for the pin, and, and as I said, it's still not enough to put him away. So at this point, Edge is frustrated. He throws a broken piece of the table at the steel cell, and I noticed that the camera is shaking because Rollins threw the table in the spot of the direction where the camera was being set up at in the cage. So you see this kind of shaking motion or whatever. Yeah. So Rollins brings in a tool bag from underneath the ring, and which that perfectly makes sense because, I mean, I, I know people like to pull shit out of their ass when it comes to pulling out stuff underneath the ring, and then you kind of question yourself, like, why is that underneath there? Why is there a fucking door underneath the damn ring? But a tool bag, yes, that perfectly makes sense. So there's a tool bag underneath the ring, and Seth Rollins brings it out. He comes back into the ring and does multiple super kicks. Hey, you know, as we said before, if you want to see super kicks, I guess we can watch this match too. But uh, so he does multiple super kicks to Edge to wear him down. And then Seth, uh, Seth grabs the big long chain in the tool bag. And that's why I started questioning why is there a big long chain in the tool bag? Like, I'm like, what the fuck is this chain doing in the bag? Uh, I, that, that was, yeah. that was just me. Yeah. No, I know. No, it's reasonable. I mean, I, I've had dual boxes all my life and I've never had a long piece of chain in one of them. So. I mean, again, I have the same question you do. Okay. And Seth wraps this chain uh, around his right foot and ankle looking for another super kick with more effects of the kick with the chain on it, and which he does. And Seth steps, uh, sets up Edge, Edge's head on the chair and yells, this is how your fairy tale ends. Seth is looking for his finishing move to stop with the chain still wrapped on his right foot and ankle and everything. But Edge, uh, Edge picks him, picks his head up and uses the chair as a counter low blow while Rollins was going to execute in the air the stop that he was going to do. Right. So Edge, okay, so um, Edge gets back up and does two super kicks, uh, one to the stomach and one to the face. Edge takes off the chain off Rollins, Rollins' foot and uses the chain to pull to pull back as an arm bar and then but but then he goes after a wrench in the tool bag and puts it across Seth Rollins' mouth, cranking it back like like doing the cross face. And as soon as Seth Rollins starts to fade, what does Edge do? He lets it go. Cause Edge sets up Rollins' head over the chair, looking to do uh, more more damage than what needs to be done here. I thought he was going to do a concerto, and that was going to be the finish. But no, 
he does he does Seth Rollins finishing maneuver the stomp, and Edge hits the stop, goes for the cover one two three. That was the finish. Yeah, I would say overall overall this match here. The finisher should have been the wrench crossface or a concerto, if that is the case. But there was multiple finishes in this match. But doing Seth Rollins' finishing move on Rollins in the end of this feud, as of right now, there's no telling tomorrow that whatever's going to happen. Well, that's old, me, school, that's old school embarrassing, what that is. Yes. So when you, when you get beat by your own finishing move, that's old school embarrassing to me. So... Um, uh, it worked for me as Edge finally getting a little bit of a comeuppance for Seth breaking into his house and all that kind of shit. But uh, do you do you feel like him doing Seth Rollins' fishing maneuver? It was like putting a hat on a hat. No, I don't. Um, okay, no. Um, but just because the build to this, the build of this fight was uh. It made it made sense that he wanted to embarrass him, but he didn't want to cripple him. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's why it worked for me. And I thought it was a good match. I thought that they both uh, put on a hell of a show and that, you know, Edge sold really well. Um, he looked like the older guy in the ring at, at times, you know? And, but then when he got going, Rollins looked like he might be in a little bit over his head. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Which I think was kind of where we're supposed to be at with this with this feud. And um, if this is, and I hope this is, I hope this is what ends it. I do, because not that I want to see Seth Rollins get beat because I like Seth Rollins, but I just I don't uh, I don't want to I don't want to drag something out just to drag it out either. You know what I mean? And, no. And, uh, so I felt like it's a. It was probably where it needed to be at, and uh, I don't think it was overbooked, or I don't think it was uh, too many gimmicks. Whatever. I think it was just. Uh, it was a, it was a good enough match, and for WWE booking, this was pretty solid. So I thought it was okay. Okay. Um... <sighs> I think after the draft, I think I think both Edge and Seth Rollins have been drafted to Raw, so they're not even going to be on SmackDown anymore. So um, there's no telling what's next for Edge. I'm sure he might try to get maybe a title shot, or I don't know if they're going to put him in with a tag team or whatever. But uh, speaking of Seth Rollins, I was a bigger fan of his when he was doing the whole burn it down, you know, the whole Monday Night Rollins. But once when he went to the Monday Night Messiah – and cutting his promos like he was doing, it just it just didn't feel the same for me as Seth Rollins. But and that's not downing Seth Rollins because the guy could still he does great, fantastic stuff in the ring. He's I mean he's great talent all all around. But the character that he's doing now is just it's, it's not doing anything for me. Well, I'm not I'm not a huge fan of his newest gimmick at all, but I am still a huge fan of his in ring work. And uh, he, that's the one thing he has control over right now. So. That's what, you know, that's what I'm going to judge him on. But as far as the whole Monday Night Messiah and the follow the vision and all that kind of stuff, it kind of feels like it's going nowhere, you know? Exactly. So I'm looking at the card here, and I guess the the next spot that we're going to talk 
to talk about is is what is one that I want to talk about. It's uh, Bobby Lashley versus Bill Goldberg, and it's a no holds barred match. Uh, before I start getting to my notes, is there anything you want to add about Bill Goldberg or Bobby Lashley? Um, I love. Okay, first off, I was around. I was actually in the building a couple of times uh, for the whole Bill Goldberg undefeated run. You know what I mean? Oh, wow. I was. And uh, I was there. I saw it. And uh, there was an energy in a building when Bill Goldberg was about to show up on a live TV taping in Birmingham, Atlanta, where we're having to be. Um that was hard to describe compared to anything else because WCW built that exactly right. They made this guy basically the Terminator, you know, Um, and Goldberg would come out, and it was never one of the big name matches, like him versus Nash or him versus Hogan or anything like that. It was always him versus, like, fucking Glacier or whoever, you know, it didn't matter, you know, uh, just some, mm-hmm. some, some guy. And uh, Goldberg was legitimately larger than life at that point. He would come walking out and you could just feel the heat and the intensity coming off of him. Like if you're close up to the aisle, you could actually feel how, how wound up this guy was. And, uh, you know, that was, so I, I, I saw all that and I remember all that. It was awesome. And then the problem is, Mike, they never changed the gimmick. They never changed the idea that this guy's unbeatable, even though he's been beat. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then you got Bobby Lashley who is kind of like the opposite story, who's a guy who is supremely, supremely talented and, you know, athletic, crazy, strong, quick, fast, got a good look, uh, can cut a decent promo, especially with MVP, with MVP in his corner, you know? Um, yeah. And then you've got Goldberg, who is, you know, and we use this term now almost as a detriment, but it's fact of it is, it's what it is. He's an attraction. He is a special guest star, you know. And speaking of M- speaking of MB- MVP, uh, where has he been? Because I haven't been seeing him going out to the ring with Bobby Lashley. I, you know, I haven't noticed him either. Uh, I don't know if he's got health issues or or what's going on. But uh, I know that I, I, I'm the same as you. I hadn't noticed MVP out there um, as often. And I don't, you know, and they brought the hurt business back. So maybe, I, you know, maybe that has something to do with it. I don't know. But uh, I I expected someone else besides, especially in a no-holds-barred, falls-count-anywhere match, for somebody besides just Lashley to show up for this match. Well, I don't know if these if the facts are true or whatever, but there was a Monday Night Raw some weeks back or, or whatever it was a couple months back. I think it had to do around. Uh, I, it might have been after SummerSlam. Um, I guess there was a spot where I guess they kind of looked at Gage or whatever the case may be, and I guess when. Goldberg did a spot on MVP. I guess that injured him. That I mean, that's what I heard. 
I just didn't know if those facts are true, and I don't have the information in front of me. I should have looked it up before I started asking that question, but I heard MVP hurt his knee or his leg pretty bad, and that's why we haven't seen that's why we haven't been seeing him come out with Bobby Lashley. So um, oh, that, may, that may very well be it. I have no idea. Uh, you know, I don't know. I, I don't watch a lot of Raw, so there's a lot that happens probably that I miss. But uh, that could very well be the case. And if it's a legit injury, then, I, well, I hope the man gets better because, you know, we need him. We like him in wrestling, you know, so. Well, I mean, I'm in the same spot as you. Like, um, as I stated in my previous uh, episodes before, that I just refuse to watch a straight three-hour fucking segment of nothing but damn bullshit so I could just watch, like, one match or whatever or watch one person come out or whatever the case may be. Yeah, yeah, I'd, but, um, I'd, I'd rather go back and scrub it and see what I want to see and not have to deal, not have to wade through the nonsense, you know? Yeah. That's just me. I do, I do the same thing with, with Raw. I do it with SmackDown at times. I do it with, I do it with Dynamite at times. I do, you know, because, like, if they tell me, oh, all right, well, now we've got, you know, Jack Leg, Dick Juck, but versus uh, Suck Me, Fuck Me. I, okay, well, I'll just yeah. skip that one. You know what I mean? Um, I'll, I'll, exactly. I'll, 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 I'll wait till you bring Jungle Boy out or something, you know? I mean, literally. Oh, yeah. The, but that's that's the privileges we have in modern TV. Back in the good old days, you didn't have that. So, mm-hmm. okay. So on the card, um, why are we having this match? And uh, the reason for this match is at WWE Crown Jewel. Child uh, abuse. Child was, abuse. We're having this. Was, child abuse. A, it's a child it abuse was, match. Yeah, it was for Goldberg to get revenge on Lashley attacking attacking his son Gage. On the aftermath of the WWE SummerSlam, when Goldberg challenged Bobby Lashley for his WWE Championship at the time that it happened, because you know Lashley's not the champion anymore. So, um, st- stating that um, the aftermath of Bobby Lashley's WWE Championship run, do you feel in any way that his reputation is kind of hurt, is being hurt right now? Do you feel that in any shape, way, form here? No, I don't. Um, I feel well. The Goldberg match doesn't help. I'll say that. No. Anything hurt it? The Goldberg match helped. The, anything hurt it? The Goldberg the Goldberg match hurt him. Mm-hmm. But up to up until this point, I feel like that Bobby Lashley has behaved and carried himself as a champion should. He got cashed in on. He had the uh, the, the 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 injury, you know, when he got cashed in on against Big E, but he won a rematch. So Big E gives him the rematch. They have it. Big E beats him again. Okay, at that point, that argument is moot. It doesn't matter anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so, and Bobby Lashley is still as much of a badass as he ever was. You know? So, um, the only thing I feel like that can hurt Lashley, and I don't think I don't think this is going to really hurt him, but it's crown jewel. And just to be dead ass honest with you, Mike, I'm not sure how many people take this shit that seriously when it comes to crown jewel. You know, like they don't pay, like when it comes to narrative and stuff like that, Crown Jewel is just kind of Crown Jewel, you know? Yeah. It's like, mm-hmm. a, it's like, it's like a side story. Um, So I don't, I, hopefully this doesn't affect Bobby's uh persona that he's built over all these months as the almighty on WWE. Yeah. He's not the champion right now, but he got, he, you know, but he didn't get beat by chopped liver either. 
you know, I mean, he didn't get beat by nobody. He got beat by a guy that's paid his dues and earned it. And uh, oh yeah, uh, Bobby Lashley. Bobby Lashley is still championship material. I mean, Bobby Lashley can be in the championship s- scenario, is what I'm saying for years to come if he wants to, as long as he per- as long as he keeps this same persona up, you know. And when he's got the hurt business behind him, and he's back again, and he's got MVP. Well, it's even better, you know. So I think it'll work. Okay, so uh, going back to that spot. On the aftermath of SummerSlam, you know, because uh, uh, Goldberg's son, Gage, just come into the ring to protect his father by climbing on the back of Lashley. And that's when Lashley slams him in the ring and puts him in that Lashley submission hold, the hurt lock. And after that happens, uh, MVP grabs a mic to address the fact that Bobby Lashley did not know it was Goldberg's son, Gage. And that could have been anybody, etc. But you cannot tell me that Bobby didn't know who it was when he applied the hurt lock on Gage. <laughs> I mean, so, I don't know. He might have known who it was, but he knew it wasn't. He, it, he had to know it wasn't a full grown man. You know? Yeah. Uh, so. <laughs> I, I, and also, that was also, that was nothing but a setup for this match right here by MVP. And that was just the, that, that was the way they booked it. And, uh, you know, MVP is just covered his bases here, you know, making sure that, you know, I mean, he's telling the story. And trying to in kayfabe if it still existed to uh, mm-hmm. to bail his guy out of the repercussions, but in reality, he's really just announcing to the crowd of who who Bobby Lacey just put the hurt lock, which is basically a full Nelson. But that's beside the point. Yeah, and then in that spot. Uh, Bill Goldberg was in agony and pain and screaming at Bobby Lacey that he was going to kill him because at that point. Bobby Lashley already dominated the match, and he was able to retain and keep carrying on his uh, his WWE championship at yes. that point. Yeah. So that's what led to this match on the card at Crown Jewel. And as I previously stated on my earlier episodes, um, WWE should have worked the angle where Bobby Lashley got arrested the next night for putting his hands on a minor and beating his ass, etc. I know they say Gage is 15 years old, but goddamn. Uh, I mean, he looks like he's like fucking 30 here. But, I mean, all jokes aside, I swear, he's probably the oldest-looking 15-year-old I've ever seen. He probably looks like he's in his damn early 20s. If I'm seriously trying to take a guess without anyone ever saying how old he is. so Yeah. Well, I mean, well, yeah. I mean, he's a big guy like his dad. That's it. Mm-hmm. So, um... Uh, let's dig into this uh, match. Uh, so Bobby comes out to the ring first, waiting for Goldberg to come out. And um, you're, you're, I mean, as long as you've known Goldberg coming out to the ring, I know you're familiar with this, but I'm going to address it with you. Um, Goldberg music hits, and the fans are chanting his name, Goldberg. Goldberg, no surprise there. But this, this is what gets me what I see after this. Next, okay? Goldberg is supposed to be this ultimate badass, right? I was okay with it in the WCW days where Goldberg would uh, walk to the ring with security, yeah, uh, knocking on the door and the and, and down the main stage. But do you feel it is still necessary? No, and not uh, yeah, no. okay, no, was, no, 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 <laughs> no, fuck no, so, no. So uh, I was, that's what I was going to ask. Uh, I had to read here in my notes. Do you still feel that it's necessary? Not only that if you're a scene 
I mean, do you see? Have you seen the security in the spot walking into the ring? Every it's, security guard looks. Every security guard looks like they weigh like a buck oh five or damn near one hundred fifty pounds. It, Goldberg it, was much. Goldberg was much bigger, leaner, and more muscle capacity than every single one of these fucking security you guards. Have to un- you, 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 you have to understand. And I think that this goes back to storytelling. And I'm going to keep this as brief as possible because we're already on pushing an hour. Um, yeah. Uh, it's in when Goldberg debuted was in the height of the NWO. Okay? Yes. So it made sense that WCW it definitely made sense. had Goldberg surrounded by security guys, that there were bodies in between him and anybody coming from any direction. So that Goldberg could go out, do his match, do his five minutes and his four moves, and win, and then come back down. You know what I mean? And that was that. Now, ever since those days, I'm talking about even back in the early 2000s, any of that other time, there was no, there's never, ever, ever been a fucking point of Goldberg having security around him. Because, all right, really, all right, well, there might be two guys in the back maybe, who could take Goldberg if they really wanted to. But other than that, nobody else in that building? No, don't matter. You know what I mean? And it's, it's, they're just following tradition, I guess, or whatever, or they're trying to, you know, go off of what they've always done. But as far as there being a point to it, no, they ain't a fucking point to it. It's fucking dumb. No. So, anyways, for everyone, you know, to rest easy and to fall easy, getting some sleep tonight, Goldberg gets out to the ring safely. So, for the people that are listening, please do not worry, okay? No, everything no, was, everything, everything was fine. He did not get suicide bombed on the way to the ring. <laughs> everything went smoothly, and all them fucking D-listened security guards hopefully got paid for the protected job well done that they did for Goldberg, okay? They did. So, nobody... Um, Nobody ran at him with a pipe bomb up their ass and screamed Coke Cabana and, and, and then exploded. Nothing like that happened. What Everything if, was fine. Well, you know, um, the spots that I'm waiting for, what, what, maybe all the security guards were there because they're ready, because maybe they're just being prepared for all the birds that fly out of Matt Riddle's ass to come after him. Well, I, I think they're, they're not, <laughs> I, I think that's the issue is that they're not like, <laughs> They're not security guards so much as they're ornithologists that have to study the birds that live in Matt Riddle's ass. That could be <laughs> it. That could very well be it. And uh, you know, that you know, only only time will tell. Honestly. Okay. Okay, so uh, let's get to the match. So both guys are in the ring. And before the match started, I don't know if you've seen this or not, but this is what I thought. Uh, Lashley had his back turned away from Goldberg and pulls out a chain that looks faker than a fucking three dollar bill here. It looks almost plastic. Pulled it right out of his pants. Yeah, he did. And Goldberg starts uh, backing Lashley into the corner, trading the punches. But Bobby starts hitting Goldberg with the chain he pulled out of his tights and wears down Goldberg. Um, he runs Goldberg a shoulder first into the metal post and still wearing him down with the chain. Bobby's looking underneath the ring and then goes to the timekeeper's table and grabs the chair because to use it because on Goldberg because 
I guess at this point, they couldn't find any chairs underneath the ring because we were all using the fucking Edge versus Rollins match, maybe. I don't know. So then Bobby grabs a table and brings it to the ring to set up in the corner. Bobby starts attacking the left knee that he messed up on Goldberg back at the SummerSlam by kicking, stopping on it, and he did a chop block on the left leg looking to take out Goldberg very early in this match. So Bobby grabs the chair, he brings it to the ring, and he sets it up on his left leg to put more damage on Goldberg to prevent him to prevent him on doing anything in this match at this point. Bobby starts stomping on the chair, trying to damage that leg. I mean, he even went up to the second turnbuckle to jump off to stomp on the chair. So Goldberg rolls to the other side of the ring, and now Bobby is looking for the signature move spear that he does. Um, but as he starts running, Goldberg moves out of the way, and he just steers himself through the table. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> and what you know, and I put here in my notes, as soon as he starts running, Goldberg moves out of the way, and Michael Cole's, in Michael Cole's words, the table imploded as Bobby Lashley runs to the table. <laughs> so, so now Goldberg counters the only way he knows how to, getting his comeback, and he executes a fucking spear of his own. He sets Bobby up for his finisher, the jackhammer. It goes for the cover, but he quickly gets up because at this point, he's not done, or he's not even started yet with Bobby Lashley. So I guess this is for the revenge sake for his minor son, boy, Gage. So um, Goldberg throws Bobby to the outside. Goldberg exits on the opposite side of the ring, and he starts running and spears Bobby through the barricade. You can hear Goldberg say, you hurt my son, I hurt you. And he just keeps repeating it as he slams Lashley's head on the table and the the barricade, fucking so forth, so on. So by then, I already wrote down in my notes, okay there, old bird, you've been shouting this, the same shit for the last three fucking weeks, okay? So Goldberg lays Bobby on the second set of steps as he grabs the top layer and tries to slam it on his head, but he quickly moves out of the way. And you could, you could see that he was probably out of the way prior to that because the camera shot was totally set on Goldberg that once when he sat down, you know, that, the, that top layer of steps, I'm sure Bobby Lashley has already been moved out of the spot by then, you know, whatever. So, right. Yeah. So at, at, at this point, Bobby is crawling up the ramp toward the stage. Bobby is signaling for something, uh, whatever. And out comes the rest of the hurt business, Alexander and Benjamin. Goldberg takes them out, takes out the hurt business very quickly. Uh, Goldberg grabs one of the kendo sticks that that was brought out by the hurt business, and as Bobby grabs the other one to uh, to whatever, they're getting ready to play Highlander or, or touching swords at this point. Okay, so Goldberg hits Bobby in the stomach and back and in the back multiple times with the stick, and then Bobby slowly works his way back up, and you can see the spot coming from a mile away, so far that even Ray Charles himself can even see the spot coming. Bobby gets up and go and Bobby gets up and slowly and Goldberg slowly runs and hits the spear, flying off the ramp and falls on the set of tables, which you can clearly can see that, that there's something underneath to break the fall. And now Goldberg is satisfied by this point. Goes for the pin and that was the finish. 
Yeah. One, two, three. So, um, yeah, it was a wet fart. So hopefully by now they're probably, I'm hoping that they're done with the feed. So Bobby, let's move on to something else. Please. Uh, so you, uh, you want to go on to the next match? No, I mean, I'll say this about that, 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 okay. Um, that I understand Goldberg winning the match. I do. I get it. I get it from a narrative point or whatever. Um, I do, but at the same time, it's like this was just a sloppy, shitty match, and it was not Bobby Lashley's fault. It wasn't really Goldberg's fault. Goldberg, I think, was doing everything he could do. I think it was mm-hmm. just a, a poorly set up match, and it was a sloppily booked match, and it was it turned into an absolute uh, circulating shit show. And, but hell, you know, I mean, the fans in the building seem to like it, you know, and the, uh, I think everybody got the result they wanted. So, all right, well, let's just move on from it and let Goldberg go back to being Goldberg, doing what Goldberg does when Goldberg's on TV, you know, and, and and we'll move along to, you know, what we like to talk about. (laughs) So, and I guess, um, there's both sides that we could talk about this. Uh, I, I I didn't really. Uh, I, I I'll give in my input after I say what match this is. But I personally didn't watch it, and I'll tell you why after you already put you know say what you have to say. But it's uh it's it's the finals of the King of the Ring tournament. Xavier Woods versus Finn Balor. So Absolutely. um yeah. So well, uh, what do you got for us, Pat? Well, all right, well. Xavier Woods for the last six months has had his Twitter handle being future King of the ring, Xavier Woods. This apparently has been his dream since he was a kid. Um, I I don't think it's unknown. Anybody that pays much attention uh, to the new day or any of those guys or, you know, has read into their history. They they don't uh, have to look too hard to find figure out that Xavier Woods his idea of being cool in WWE was winning King of the Ring. That's what he always wanted to do when he was a young man, you know? So, now, you fast forward, uh, you know, 30 years, whatever, and you've got Kofi Kingston, who's had a decorated career, and he's a heavyweight champion, or a former heavyweight champion. You've got Big E, who is the current heavyweight champion, and, you know... And I'm totally discounting the number of tag titles that this this trio has won together as the New Day, you know? But the one guy who doesn't have a singles accolade is Xavier Woods. Now, what belt do you put on Woods? Well, if you put the Intercontinental belt with the U.S. belt on him, yeah, that's cool, but it's not the heavyweight belt. It's not the same thing that everybody else got. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, Xavier Woods made it his point. He made it his purpose, his mission. He's going to be the king of the ring. Uh, you know, it, it was, and they brought the finals up, and the finals being Xavier Woods versus Finn Balor. Okay. Um, I think that if you took a straw poll on people who only knew, I only, only watched these two guys wrestle, 
you took a straw poll on it, there's probably 60, 70, 60 to 40, 70 to 30 that Balor wins this match. You know? Because yeah. he, cause he's, even, uh, we're not talking about the demon, by the way. We're just talking about Finn Balor, you know? Um, because, but, you know, the problem with it is, is, is that in the WWE, one thing we've not seen a whole lot of, at least in not, not in several years, is that what Xavier Woods can do as is a singles competitor. You know what I mean? Yeah. What he can what he can do when he didn't have somebody to tag in. You know, what he can do in a one-on-one match. And Xavier Woods has a very unique skill set um, for a guy his size. He can, he's got amazing range for a guy that's as big as he is. And he's not, not that he's huge, but he's bigger than like, like Ricochet, you know? And uh, so these two come out. And I love that Woods came out talking all this nonsense because it's Woods. This is what Woods does. You know, he's talking, this is going to be mine. I'm going to be the king. I'm going to be this. I'm going to be that. You know, again, this is what you expect from Xavier Woods. You expect Xavier Woods to have supreme confidence because he always does. Now, the whole match, my notes basically say that, A, it was all throughout and that there were no dumb spots and it ran about 10 minutes. You know, um, it was back and forth a lot. Um, they, there was a point in the match where Xavier got uh, in trouble for trying to do something on the top rope too quickly and Balor got him off the rope. And when he put him on the floor or on the apron, <coughs> on the mat, <coughs> Excuse me, on the mat, <clears throat> he uh he was kind of in the drop zone, you know, for the coup de gras. So Balor climbs to the top, and if you ever played Street Fighter, Mike, I know you have. Oh yeah, I got the damn cabinet and everything. Yeah, 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 yeah. So he gets to the top rope, and all of a sudden, Xavier Woods comes up and pulls off a tiger uppercut, like straight out of Street Fighter. Are you being serious? To Finn Balor. Oh, wow. He don't scream out tiger or none of that nonsense. It's just (laughs) like a a jumping one-footed uppercut to Finn Balor that just leaves him reeling. You know what I mean? Yeah. And gets him off the top rope, and then he superplexes him. You know? So he drops him. And then this goes back and forth again a little bit. Balor will reverse a couple of times here and there. And uh, the greatest learning experience of this match for me was finding out what Xavier Woods' finishing move was. Mm-hmm. It's called the Limit Breaker Elbow. Now, for those that don't know, <laughs> the Limit Break is a special move in a Final Fantasy game. And we all know that Woods is a huge video game guy. So he called it mm-hmm. the Limit Breaker Elbow. And what he does is he climbs to the turnbuckle like any like Macho Man Randy Savage, you know, to do a, to a elbow drop, right? Then he walks out on the rope by itself, and then bounces and jumps two thirds of the way across the ring, and does an elbow drop. And it took his second one of those to put Balor away uh, to win the match. But it was a good match. It was solid. There's nothing dumb. Nobody. Not too many flips. Not too many, too much bullshit. It was a wrestling match, pure and simple, you know? And uh, 
They went ahead. They went back and forth. Woods wins the match. And he starts, and and they gave the fist bump at the end of the match. You know, the show respects the whole deal. You know what I mean? And yeah. um, Woods is going back up to the to the, you know, up there to the stage. And uh, he gets up there, and you know, of course, he starts trying to put his robe on, and he can't get the robe on right because I mean, he'd had to hook a buckle, and I don't guess he, he felt like fucking with it. Um, he puts the crown on, he gets the scepter, the whole deal. And then it was, uh, <laughs> it was when he said, this is for Breeze. Okay. If you've ever followed anything on YouTube or their podcast or anything like that, you know that Xavier Woods for years had a YouTube show called Up, Up, Down, Down, where he played video games, right? Yeah. His partner and his best friend who did that with him was Tyler Breeze, who has recently been cut by WWE, you know? Who is now doing indie jobs and stuff like that. He hadn't signed AEW or anybody like that yet, but he's doing indie jobs and stuff. And uh, he, the first thing out of his mouth when he gets on the stage with the crown and the robe and holding the scepter is, this is for Breeze. On a WWE pay-per-view, he says, this is for a guy you fired. And I love it. I can't help it. I'm sorry. I love it. I mean, I love it, too, because that takes a lot of courage and a lot of balls to say, hey, this is for Breeze, a guy that you really didn't give a shit about, and you cut him. And uh, he was he was a part uh, – Tyler Breeze was a part of that fashion police, right? Yeah, Fandango, yeah, all that, yeah. Fandango, yeah, that's right, okay. Because I knew I recognized that name from somewhere. I was like, you know what? It sounds like he was in the fashion police with Fandango. Oh, he was hilarious, if nothing else. You know what I mean? But yeah. the, the point is, is that then, then Woods continued to tell the camera that we, the camera would not cut away until he told him it was time to cut away because he was the king. You know what I mean? And the king would <laughs> yeah. have what he wanted. And I am living for Xavier Woods as King of the Ring, just because of his sense of humor, if nothing else. I'm living for Xavier Woods, just, you know, like proclaiming that I say that this has to happen because I'm the King of the WWE, and somehow it happens. You know, I mean, it, that's really what it comes down to. So, but I was proud to see the third member of the New Day, day of the New Day finally get a little, finally get their, their big push. Solo push, you know, the, if this is the biggest push Woods ever gets as a solo wrestler, um, you know, uh, he'll be happy and I will too, you know. I mean, of course, I wish all the success for anybody in the world, but you know, I mean, you know, Woods got what he wanted, he's king of the ring, Big E's world champion, Kofi's a former world champion at this point. How do you keep these guys out of the hall of fame? How do you, you know, I mean, how do you? And how do you even downmouth the New Day in any fashion outside of saying, well, I don't like their dancing or I don't like their trombones or I don't like their pancakes. Okay, we do. that's cool. You don't, all right, fine. You're not required to like any of that. But you can't say that the New Day ain't over because the New Day's over. Saudi Arabia was chanting New Day rocks. Oh, yeah. When Woods won. So there you go. Um. That was my thing. Uh, I, I had a vested interest in that just because it was Woods and because I'm a big fan. And I'm a big fan of Bowder as well. 
but uh, oh, yeah. I, want, I wanted to see if they were actually let Woods pull it off, and they did. So I was happy. Okay. Um, my thoughts on that, I just I didn't watch it, and it's it's not the it's not taking nothing away from Xavier Woods or Finn Balor because they're both great talents. Um, in the you know in in the company, um, I don't dislike either of the two. It's just I have a problem with watching this match because how WWE has fucking shat all over and banned yeah, also, the rules of fucking King of the Ring. Yeah, we talked about it last week or last night. Uh, that King of the Ring used to be a one night like a used to be like a marathon. You know what I mean? Yeah, because the way the way how they used to do it is they would have a sixteen man bracket and one of them would get the bye week in the first round and all these matches would be on TV and then you would just have a, a Pacific pay-per-view for the King of the Ring and that's what it was. Yeah, there might be a title match or something like that thrown in between but still, you would have the quarterfinals on the pay-per-view, the semifinals and the finals all in one fucking night. Yeah. And it's like... And it was better. It was, it was, it, it was yeah, better. it was. And what did they have in one night? The finals. Well, I... I they they want to space things out now. I don't know. It's again, it's WWE booking. Ask me to explain uh, alien architecture, and I could probably do a better job. So uh, I don't get it. But uh, I, I never I never saw the problem with the original King of the Ring format. Because that that would be perfect. I mean, like you have a pay per view named Crown Jewel. And that would be a perfect spot, but if you don't want to do a King of the Ring pay-per-view, if you want to add in a whole bunch of side shooting or whatever, you could count a, a crown a King of the Ring, you know, champion at Crown Jewel, which that's what they did here. But I'm looking at some of these matches they could have cut out, and they could have had a damn quarterfinals and the semifinals at Crown Jewel if that's the way how they wanted to do it. But yes. that's not what they did here. And then not only that. I guess just the way how they just decide in between whoever the the, the king is, it's like, you know, because what was it? This, la this last run, uh, Baron Corbin was the king for like almost two fucking years. And then earlier this year, Nakamura just took the crown. Yeah, they had a battle for the crown and King uh, Shinsuke Nakamura. Ends up, be, ends up beating King Corbin for the fucking being the for him to be the king for him to have that name King Nakamura and so what you could take away the crown away from him in a couple of months just to have a fucking another tournament for somebody else in the same year to be called the king I mean yeah yeah just, I, don't, I don't know it's again it's lazy booking man that's it and, and I'm on and I'm on board with you like how you said in our last podcast that we did together. If you're going to change the rules, then let people know ahead of time. Like, hey, this is what it was before, but it's not now. It's, it's, it's like anything. It's like going with anything else. Like the NBA changing the, changing the rules, like a flagrant fouls or whatever. Or if um, NFL is going to change their rules on the spot where the extra point is going to be kicked off. Okay, we noticed what the rules used to be, but before you kick off the season – let them know the changes ahead of time that these are not the rules anymore and they have changed. I would be perfectly fine with that if they would properly do it, but as you said, it's lazy booking. 
lazy fucking thought process. They don't put a lot of whole lot of thought to it. Well, they they expect to shovel shit and people to eat it. That's what they think. Yeah. I, I mean, that's really it. And and that's that's kind of a one of the causes of why WWE is having the issues that they're having now is that they think that they can just oh we'll just show them this and people will just be like oh okay and and fans aren't stupid anymore no. they're not they're not dumb anymore most fans us you know I, I I wouldn't say most but I'd say a, a lot of fans more than used to be are educated on how this works. And they look at it and they go, what are you even trying to drive at here? What are you trying to, what what story are you telling? And that is one question that a fan should never have to ask a wrestling company. It's what story are you trying to tell? You know? Well, this guy's, oh, yeah. mad, at, this guy's mad at this guy because he hit his girlfriend. Okay. Story. You got a story. You know what I mean? This mm-hmm. guy's mad at this guy because he cost him the title. Okay. Story. You got a story. This, these guys are made at these guys because the the second guys are the tag team championship. These guys think they're better. Okay, you got it. Story, you know. But this whole just ramshackle. All of a sudden, I'm mad at you, but next week I won't be. It's bullshit. It's nonsense. It's it fucking stupid. I'm. I'm. It. It's the reason I can't watch the fucking show. Because there's no narrative to follow. There's better narrative on a guy. If I wanted to watch, if I wanted to watch a show with no narrative, I'd watch goddamn Looney Tunes. I would. But even then, I would still know that Sylvester was trying to eat Tweety and that Wiley Coyote was trying to eat the Roadrunner. Which I don't even have that with WWE. You know? So let's be real. This is, you know, this is a, a company that is out of control that they don't have people trying to write storylines and, you know, plot lines and things like that. What they're trying to do, what they're trying to do is to, is to make little spots on each TV show be funny. They're basically trying to be Saturday Night Live every Monday night, and it sucks. So Yeah, and Saturday night, Saturday night hasn't been fucking Saturday Night Live in over fucking 20 years. That's just it. I, I, all I'm saying, again, all I'm saying is, uh, my goodness, I, I guess I'm just, and I get angry when I start talking about it, and I guess that's crazy, but. Uh, it's not crazy. It's no, just, I, mean, uh, I, I, I do. I get angry because. It's because you care. You I, know? I get angry because it's. It just feels like they quit giving a shit so long ago. You know what I mean? And and oh, they, yeah. they and it's like they instead of in, instead of not seeing that shoveling shit works, they just try to shovel more of it so it just shuts us up. And it's just I'm fucking tired of it, man. I'm sick of it. And again, yeah. not every, it's not everything in WWE. Please don't misunderstand me. It's not everything in WWE. The Roman Reigns things. We'll get to that eventually. You know that's that's mm-hmm. good story. I I love it, but uh, this next match we're going to talk about, I, I I liked it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it I feel like it told it told a good story, and it it it, it furthered a certain a certain narrative. And that's um, the Big E 
versus Drew McIntyre for the WWE Championship. That's it. That's it. What I felt like was probably the probably the second best match of the night. That's just me speaking personally, but I felt like that was the, the I felt like that that is the second best match of the night. Okay. I mean, you know, there are going to be those that argue for the for the ladies' triple threat match, and I think that, that that's valid. There are going to be those that argue for uh, Edge and Seth Rollins, and that's also valid. I think that they're all kind of in the same ballpark. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, uh, no. yeah, go, yeah. Go. I was going to say, go ahead. Do you want to take you want to take us a little bit further in the Drew McIntyre Big E? I sure will. Um, okay. All right. Well, Big E, as we know, won the uh, the title by cashing in the Money in the Bank on Bobby Lashley, and then defended it uh, a couple of weeks later against Lashley and won. He's defeated. He's defended a couple times since and won. But now he's coming to Crown Jewel and he's facing Drew McIntyre, a guy who, as the storyline goes, never got his due so to speak, where he got the pop from the fans when he won the title. Because when he won the title was during the, uh, uh, you know, during COVID when it was in the Thunderdome and there were no fans in the building. And Drew McIntyre is a great, great wrestler. He's a great wrestler. He's a great competitor. He's a huge baby face. Everybody loves him. He's a capable guy. And I'm a Drew McIntyre fan. Um, a hundred percent, you know, when I found out that at first I thought it was silly that he named his sword, but then I found it was named after his mother who had passed away. And I was like, okay, well, that's cool. You know what I mean? So his, his sword, yeah. his, his, his sword is named Angela after his, 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 uh, his mother that he lost. That's awesome. That's badass, you know? And okay. I, I like Drew for that. So they have the entrance, and Drew comes out to his usual, you know, the Scottish music, and he's got the sword and the whole deal, you know, and he's got he's wearing the leather kilt and the whole shooting match. He comes out, and he's very serious. There's nothing, you know, there's nothing jovial about Drew McIntyre. He comes out. Well, then Big E comes out. Well, And first off, it helps a lot with Big E that he doesn't come out to New Day music. He comes out to his own music. You know, yeah, and you know, so, I mean, so you don't you don't hear, oh, Dubai, don't you dare be sad. No, you don't hear that. You hear his music kick in, and it looks like a comic book cover on the Titan Tron, because Big E is they're they're playing him up like he's like the Hulk, like he's a superhero, you know. Mm-hmm. And he comes out, and he's not dancing. He's running back and forth. He's he's hype. He's excited, but he's not acting silly. He's here. He's yeah. here for a fight, and he gets ha- he gets two thirds of the way down to the ring, and I noticed this that he looks down at the belt and he says, "You will never leave me, and you'll never forsake me. You're gonna be with me for a long time." To the belt, okay. Mm-hmm. To me, that's I was like, okay, that feels weird, but let's see where it goes. You know? Yeah. So, but he looks serious. There's no dancing. You know, and they get in there, and the match starts out with basically them kind of going back and forth off the ropes and and smacking into each other, right? Shoulder block, shoulder block, right? Yeah. 
Well, I'm, you know, it's, uh, you know, the first couple of times Drew hits him and he don't move. Uh, he looks him dead in the eye and I, and I wrote it down because I, again, I read, I read it and quoted it. It said, he, he looks at him and he says, hit those ropes again, dog. <laughs> he goes, hit those ropes and come on back, you know? And so Drew does. And again, he doesn't move him. You know what I mean? But as it goes on, the match starts to actually get going. And, uh, you know, uh, and they fight their way uh, through the match. You know, they're with the uh, a lot of arm drags or, uh, you know, stuff like that. They're throwing each other into the corner. They're hitting each other a lot of chops, a lot of big hits and stuff like that. Big E's got a famous promo on YouTube where he says that uh, some of y'all want to see 30-minute classics and some of y'all want to see, you know, the five-star classics that, uh, you know, with all the flips and the special moves. He goes, but that ain't what most people want to see. They want to see two big men with two big, two big muscled-up, strong, thick men with big chests and big muscles slapping meat. You know, he said, and mm -hmm. he said that before he fought Bobby Lashley. And, uh, you know, and that's what this match was. It was him and Drew McIntyre basically slapping meat the whole time. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And uh, so they fight, and they fight their way outside. And Big E is, comes running in for like a shoulder tackle on Drew McIntyre. And Drew McIntyre pulls up a gorgeous, gorgeous, over over the top, not side to side, over the top belly to belly suplex. Now Big E weighs two hundred eighty five pounds. Okay, Drew weighs two sixty five. He throws him over his head with the momentum of Big E running and all that, but it looks great. It sells, man. It pops. Big E hits. He's selling. He's hurt. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so he's down, and. uh and, uh, you know, it's, uh, Drew is, uh, in control early, uh, and he throws him in, uh, or Big E tries to reverse a Irish whip and he throw, you know, and he tries to throw it in and, uh, McIntyre reverses that, throws him in, Big E comes back and Drew catches him with a spine buster. And it's not just a turn around spine buster again. It's, I will pick you up off the ground and then turn around and drop you with a spine buster. You know, it was a, it was a gorgeous move. Drops him with it, gets a two count. And, uh, then Big E starts to get his comeback going, trying to. And mm -hmm. Big E is, gets up and he's, he's blocking shots and he catches him. He throws him in the ropes, three straight, three straight moves. Over the top, two over the tops, and then one side to side belly to belly suplex. And again, I could watch either one of these two dudes throw belly to belly suplexes all night long, just because of the height that they get on those over the tops. You know? Yeah. Uh, they're so strong, and street shape belly to bellies, and uh, and then at that point, uh, Big E goes in for a move on something and. I don't know what he's going for exactly, but uh, he tries to maybe have him in a sin, not a senton, but uh, uh, Unaragi and uh, Uranagi, excuse me. And uh, then all of a sudden, 
uh, Drew reverses it and turns it into a Michinoku driver. Okay. This was the first near fall of the match. Um, it was about two and a half count. Big E kicks out. The crowd's, oh, 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 wait, hold on, you know. Oh, so they keep going back. E's trying to fight, but Drew's in control. Drew catches him, hits him with the future shock DDT. And that's one of his big moves. That's one of his finishers. Uh, another close two count. And Drew looks confused. Drew looks shocked. He looks like he's getting frustrated at this point. And the, the commentators the entire time have been saying that either one of these competitors need to frustrate the other one. You know what I'm saying? So Drew is starting to look frustrated. Drew's starting to look confused. He's starting to look pissed off that his shit is not working like he thinks it should. So Drew gets him in the middle of the ring, and then he gets in the corner and he kneels, and he starts doing his thing where he's telling the guy to get up, to get up, get up, get up, get up, get up. You know? And you know, we know what we're looking yeah. at here, right? We're looking at the Claymore, you know? And so McIntyre goes for the Claymore. He misses. Biggie ducks it and then catches him. And it's called a stretch hold lock, I think is what it's called. It's a submission he got him in. But I was impressed with this move, and this is why. Because the move involves uh, Biggie being on a vertical base on two feet and Drew McIntyre being inverted with his head down. And Biggie has got one leg stretched around his head. One of Drew's legs stretched around his head. And he's got an arm, both each arm is on top of the leg, and he's pushing down on both sides. Okay? Mm -hmm. Now, this move doesn't look as good if you're not as thick as hell like Big E is. You know what I mean? This guy's got a neck and shoulders on him that would make anybody cry. And Big E is pushing this thing in, and Drew is selling, and he's screaming, and he's hollering, and he's trying to get loose. And he don't know what to do. And uh, at one point, and the, and, the, and the commentators kept saying, the commentators kept saying, to their credit, if he can lock those hands, it's over with. Because, but you look at it physically, I'm not sure there's a way Big E could even lock his hands in that move. Without actually, absolutely, absolutely ripping every ligament in Drew McIntyre's leg. You know? Mm -hmm. But, so they go on when they do that, and he's got him in, he's got him in that for a while. But then Drew finally is able to get his leverage and reverse it. And he gets caught and uh, he bounces off the ropes. He's coming back after Big E with something. But Big E catches him, hits him with the big ending. And it's a two count. That's not enough. That's the first time since Big E's being heavyweight champion that the, that the big ending hasn't worked. You know? So Big E gets up and he kind of shakes it off. Drew is laying there and he's trying to catch his breath. He's trying to get going again. You know? And they get up and they go again. Uh, Drew, uh, Big E tries to put Drew on the top rope. He's going to try to do the beginning off the top rope. Uh, Drew reverses this and bulldogs Big E off the top rope. It's the simplest move in the world, but it looks great and it works great in this spot because he it looks like he literally bounces his head off the mat. And he goes for the count and he doesn't get it. Uh, it's a two and a half. Maybe. All right. So, but Big E's still down. So, Clay, uh, at this point, McIntyre says, all right, I got him. I've got him. I've got him now. I've got him. He goes to the opposite corner. Big E's in the middle of the ring, right? 
And he goes off the corner. He starts doing the countdown again. He kneels down. It's three, two, you know, get up, get up, get up. Three, two, one. And then he, boom, he's coming in with the Claymore. Big E ducks it. When McIntyre turns around, Big E catches him and tries to pick him up. McIntyre tries to reverse it with his momentum. Big E turns him a complete circle over his shoulder and then hits the big ending. And it's one, two, three, and that's it. So um, this was not a technical showcase, so to speak. You know what I mean? Uh, It wasn't. But, my God, it was two big dudes just beating the hell out of each other. You know what I mean? Yeah, and then after the match was over and Drew McIntyre started walking to the back, um, didn't Drew McIntyre, like, give, like, Big E, like, a thumbs up or some shit? Well, he did. And because Big E was talking to him, Big E told him, he said, yeah. he should respect to you. He said, but he said, and he looked back at, the, back at the belt. He started talking to the belt again. He said, me, 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 he goes, we, we got a long way to go. We got a long way to go. We got a lot more to do. You know what I mean? And Big mm-hmm. and, and Drew looked back at him and gave him a thumbs up. And Big E looks up and says, respect, respect. You're the man. He goes, but we got a lot more to do. We got a lot more to do. You know? And uh, it, Honestly, I love this match. Um, I'm a fan of both guys, so that probably is colors my 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 feelings on it, I guess. But uh, it was it felt like the it felt like it was a good match. It was a nice, hard fought, hard hitting match, and it felt like the right guy won in this situation. So, well, know. yeah, the the right the right guy did win, and it ain't nothing against Drew McIntyre, but. In a way, it was kind of predictable because um, I, Drew, I don't know if you paid attention to, to the draft, but Dra- uh, Drew was going from Raw to SmackDown. So, and then um, I know he issued an open challenge this past Friday, and and Sami Zayn ends up answering or whatever. Which I heard that Drew McIntyre won that match. I don't know what the play by play was or whatever, but um, there is a future for Drew McIntyre in. Um, in WWE, I do see very soon maybe something between Drew McIntyre and Roman Reigns. Maybe I feel you like that's where, I feel I feel like that's where we're headed. Um, yeah, and I, I I for one am all for that. I am. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I would love to see a, a McIntyre Reigns feud because I think that could be a, some great matches. Um, yeah, and uh, I, what, I what I don't want to see happen is for McIntyre to keep getting shut out on the top level. Not not that he has to be champion, but, you know, give him runs, give him good matches. You know what I mean? Because I feel like he's a top level, I feel like he's a top level guy. And with Bobby Lashley staying on Raw and Big E still being on Raw and whoever else happens to be moving to Raw that I'm probably not thinking of because I don't watch Raw. uh, You know, I mean, Big E is going to have a new challenger soon, I'm sure, you know? What I wonder is, is are they going to put Big E and Roman Reigns in the in the ring against each other at Survivor Series? Yeah, that would be that would be interesting, man. I would I would like to see that. I'm not sure that anybody besides Reigns can win that match, but I would I'd be interested to see it because they have history, you know, the new day yeah. and the new day in the Shield and all that, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that would be interesting to see. But I'm enjoying, you know, I understand there are people who have issues with Big E or whatever. 
because of his new day and his gyrating and all that kind of stuff, they all need to fucking grow up or get over themselves or whatever. Um, because Big E is... When Big E won the heavyweight title, everybody in that promotion and people outside that promotion who had worked with him before were like, that's the kind of guy that people line up and want to shake their hand when they do something good. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's oh, what yeah. they... That's what they said about Big E. And he has, I mean, the guy's been in the business 12 years and finally got his shot, you know? Mm-hmm. And I feel like that now he's he's making it count. And that's the kind of thing that makes me happy, you know? That makes me, that restores a little bit of faith that I thought I'd completely lost in this business that I love. Well, if anybody out of the New Day is going to make this believable as being the WWE champion, it's definitely Big E, 100% all the fucking way. I know um, a couple years prior, they gave the fans what they wanted when they had the whole Kofi mania, and he did have a longer run, I felt like, than what he was supposed to have, and Brock Lesnar took care of that on the first aired episode on Fox. Oh, yeah. What the point is. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just, I mean, it's like, it's like Kofi is going through like people like Randy Orton and shit like this. Like, I just, I don't know. It's just, and it's not bringing Kofi Kingston down. It's just, I just, it just didn't feel, it didn't feel important to me. I don't, I, I can't explain it. It's just, but then putting the belts on somebody like Big E out of the new day. He could carry this belt as long as any other champion has ever done before. And the way how Big E is just carrying himself. And I mean, even when he was doing the pancakes and the bootios and the cereal and all that bullshit, yeah. I mean, he was the new the, you know, the kids love him. They were they were the comedy gimmick for the kids when uh or the new heroes for the kids when John Cena was around. You want to get the kids involved to watch wrestling. You want all ages to be involved in your product to watch wrestling. Like, look, I get that. I'm not going to hate on that. I totally understand it. Because yeah. there's always there's always some kind of kid spot, and there always has been when it comes to wrestling, when it comes to Hulk Hogan, Bret Hart, so forth and so on. So, as I stated before, if anyone is going to make this shit look good and believable, and now Big E is getting serious now, and... um. He's even a changed his attire. I, I don't know if you ran into that, but I he, did. he's a tire that, yeah, he comes out to like the album col- uh, colors of like the Fuji's now. So, yeah, yeah he's got a Fuji, he's got Fuji's album cover, um, yeah. which they came up with. It was from the Fuji's first album, but instead of the Fuji's, it's the New Day. But still, he's so yeah, he's, yeah, he's still acknowledging that he's part of the New Day, but his music's different, his entrance is different. How he, how he carries himself different. He's not acting like the Big E from the New Day. He's acting like Big E that's world champion. And that's what I like. You know? Yeah. He's taking this shit seriously. And mm-hmm. uh, we'll see how it goes. Okay. Yeah, we'll just have to see where it goes with uh, with Big E in the future. And I talk about caring. Uh, let's carry on to finally the main event on, on the card here. It's uh, Roman little, Reigns versus... Only- only a, little, only a little bit to talk about with this one. Uh, you know, not 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 many notes here. Which no, I, I, <laughs> no, I've only I've I've only probably got a page. 
uh, at least. Uh, but no, it th- this has been brewing forever. Yeah. It's been brewing forever. It's been brewing ever since, uh, I guess, SummerSlam. Yeah, because that's what I have written in my notes, that this rivalry started back on SummerSlam. And to me, it's very interesting because nobody knows where Paul Heyman stands in between Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar. Uh, Paul right. Heyman. Paul Heyman has been the advocate for Lesnar forever, and Lesnar went MIA, like how he did. So then Heyman teamed up with Reigns to be his advocate, a.k.a. the wise man. And and have the, make, hot, the hottest run in WWE right now. The greatest heel, the, the great heel that he is today, which is Roman Reigns. So I'm guessing you have to call Heyman the wise man when he's with Reigns and he call him the advocate when he's with Lesnar. You know, yeah. okay. So yeah. and, and 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 adding to this before the match starts, because uh I uh I didn't cover this, but it, it involves this. Last week before the match, I'll have to add, uh, they had the contract signing in the middle of the ring. Paul Heyman reads it over and hands it over to Roman and lets him know, is there anything you ever wanted in a, in a, in a contract, my tribal chief? So Roman Reigns signs it and hands it over to Lesnar. Lesnar doesn't even look at the fucking page. It just, it, it, I mean, he doesn't even look at the contract. He just signs the whole fucking page and stands on the table. And Roman Reigns tells Lesnar, you must be some dumb, hillbilly, inbreeding dumbass. How are you just going to sign a contract and not even read it first? And Lesnar uh, serves the shit by letting Roman Reigns know, hey, look, man, I read the damn contract this morning with my advocate, Paul Heyman, dumbass. So it's, it's just this whole freaking feud ever since SummerSlam has been great. I can't tell you. It's like watching Picasso paint his fucking masterpiece here. I can't just describe how great that this fucking storyline has been. No, it's been great. Storyline. Go ahead. No, they played it right. They have. They've uh they they've played it the right way and they've uh they've done everything they needed to do uh to cast doubt where doubt needed to be cast. And they've done everything to make uh to make it look like Roman Reigns is either paranoid or that Paul Heyman's lying. You know what I mean? One of the two. Yeah. So. But so far, this storyline has been great since day one because, and honestly, I like this even more because of all the positions that everyone is in right now because this ain't the first time that Lesnar Reigns have had feuds because they've had feuds in the past. Um, Roman has always been... Uh, supposed to be the baby push, but everyone kept booing him because they got burned out on Roman being pushed and shoved down the throats of the WWE universe. And Lesnar was supposed to be the heel, but people kept cheering for Lesnar and even at times booed because fans got tired of the part-time and bullshit and only defended the universal title only like three times a year. So doing that, uh, you're not... Uh, you're not a rightful defending champion, but uh, the people that know Lesnar, he loves his free time, and he comes at big events when the time is right and the money's right or whatever. So now Roman turned heel, and it's the best or even the greatest heel run in the WWE has ever seen in a very long time. The bloodline works, and the Paul Heyman is the masterpiece that's holding it all together. The Usos, Reigns, and Heyman are just a great, beautiful thing. 
I know people get burned out on his run on the run-ins from the Usos, but it is what it is. Now Lesnar is at his own destiny here. He uh he is the anti-babyface because the fans love seeing Lesnar just tear apart the right person, and he's not out here trying trying to be anybody's buddy. He no. only cares about what he wants, and he wants Roman Reigns, and he wants the Universal Title back. That's it. So, uh, yeah, and so uh, Paul Heyman is just a master at his craft, being in between Roman Reigns and Lesnar here, because his body language, his uh, his high education vocabulary, and how he just ignores the questions and goes into something else toward the match, but. Not what his, uh, uh, but not what his actions or his attentions are, is even greater, because his acting is off the charts here, and it should he should be winning a damn Emmy for his support uh, performance here. Yeah, Lesnar, so, this is the best talking Lesnar's ever done. This really is. Yeah, um, that I've seen, and uh, this is Lesnar being a believable Brock Lesnar. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I know we've, we've even talked about this before, but I loved it on Smack, on the SmackDown episode a few weeks ago that he made, when he made sure that the bloodline stayed together during, uh, during the draft and Roman Reigns told Heyman that he loved him, the, expe- the expression and the reaction on Heyman's face when he heard that was like hearing your old mother telling a young, warm-hearted child that she loved you. It was great, man. I loved it. The way Heyman has been selling the shit since day one, uh, has been some of the best acting I've ever seen from a manager in a very long time. Um, even when Roman Reigns questions his attentions toward the bloodline, it's just Paul Heyman's tears, the stuttering. He can't even look at Roman Reigns directly in the face. Everything he does in this storyline has been over the top. And what makes WWE even watchable at this point because of this feud. So before the um, the match even started, it was, uh, I don't know if you saw this or not, but before the match was even started, it was announced that the match was going to be a no disqualification match. But both Lesnar and Roman Reigns disagreed to the terms, so it had to be switched once again to a normal rules match for the title. Okay. So, um... I'll, I'll just add in what what I have what I have here. Um, when Brock comes out to the ring, man, he just looks leaner and meaner than he has in the last few years that we have seen him. And it was uh, different hearing from the ring announcer because uh, when he's being introduced in the ring, because uh, uh, Brock Lesnar, because every time everyone is used to hearing Paul Heyman grabbing the microphone from the ring announcer as he introduces Brock Lesnar in his own way. And we are used to hearing that for years and years and years, but that's not the point here. So that was kind of that, that was that was very different from seeing that. So um, in this match, when the match starts, they tie up, they back up into the corners uh, a bit, and Roman was being smart early because every time uh, Brock Lesnar was trying to hit the German suplex, he was making sure he was grabbing onto something—the ropes, the turnbuckles, and stop the suplex. Okay. So uh, I love the way how Brock I love the way how Brock Brock Lesnar sells in this match. I can't even remember the last time when Brock Lesnar 
sell the spots this good like how he did in this match. I mean, and that's another side of respect that I have for Brock Lesnar. It was an equal match in the start. And Lesnar started early with the strikes and the knee strikes and working Roman Reigns in the corner. And by the time it was like six minutes into the match, I believe, we only got two German suplex by Lesnar. So they didn't bury the suplexes early and they built it up. They built up the crowd on when when Lesnar did execute the German suplexes. They got even a much bigger, huge pop out of it. And the chance started the suplex city, suplex city, suplex city. Roman got some work in as well. Uh, he got his uh, Superman punches in. He's jumped over the top rope onto Lesnar on the outside. He did his first spear, and it still wasn't enough and and to make sense. Because it, it, it does make sense. And that's why it, it does make sense because it usually takes a lot to break down Lesnar in the match. So after the spear, that's when he started getting multiple suplexes in on Roman Reigns, and he hits the uh, the F5, but Roman Reigns kicks out. Lesnar tries another F5, but Roman uh, puts him into the GNT submission finisher that, that that he's been doing. Lesnar yeah. counters it into yeah he counters it into a spine buster. Um, yeah. Yeah, which was impressive. That's the first time we've seen that guillotine get broke. Yeah, because uh, usually anytime when Roman Reigns has that locked in, it's usually like a guarantee that the match is over. But, I mean, but Brock Lesnar is just, that's why they call him the beast for a reason. He's at, a, he's at another level than any of the other talents that are in the WWE. So, Lesnar was trying for another F5, but he's... Uh, he, he hit it. Uh, he got thrown, uh, but when he hit it, he, uh, Roman Reigns got thrown into the official, and the ref is knocked down and knocked out. Okay, but I am. But this was a spot because when he hit the F five and it hit the referee, there was like I am surprised that Lesnar didn't grab his hand when the referee was knocked down, uh, because you know back in the day when the ref would be knocked down during the Stone Cold Steve Austin match back in the day, he would grab the ref's hand and slam it on the mat, one, two, three, and the match would be over. He'd say, okay, it's the official, it is the referee. He count the three, he might have been knocked out, but he still count the three, you know, if that makes right. any sense. Yeah. But they, they didn't do that in this match. No. So, so now the ref's knocked out. At this point, I told myself, I'm just waiting for the Usos to get involved in this match, and you know it's bound to happen. Yeah, so Lesnar yeah. picks up... Go ahead. Yeah, you knew it was going to happen. You knew at some point, the Usos were going to show up. Uh, it was going to be set up for that to happen. And uh, and they did. They sure enough did. Mm -hmm. um, Lester tries to pick up the ref, but he falls back down and he just rolls outside the ring. So now the ref is just totally out, you know, out of the category in this match. So um, once Lesnar turns his back, Roman hits the spear on Lesnar. So both are laying. This is the spot where Heyman comes in after that spear. So they are both laying in the center of the ring, but they have a decent distance between the two, and Lesnar is staring at Heyman. Yeah. Uh, Heyman, Heyman has the universal belt. The, I put down the strap in his hand. He throws it in the center of the ring, looking like it was a pitch for Lesnar to use it, but in the, but says, it was still in the middle. 
You know what to do with it. Yeah. And I, it, it, it was still in the middle between Roman Reigns and Lesnar and Heyman is frustrated and he said, you know what to do with it. So, and when he said that, he just covered his face and he looked away. He just, he just couldn't see it after this point because he is so frustrated. And it's like he cares about both of them, Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar, because he's got history with both of them. So he, it's like he can't even barely, barely look anymore at the match. So Roman and Lesnar are playing tug of war with the belt. Lesnar gets the strap and turns, and he turns around and guess who shows up? The Uso, and they get the side-by-side super kick on Brock Lesnar. And then Roman Reigns uses the strap to hit Lesnar in the face with it. He goes for the cover, and another official comes out for the count one two, three, and that was the finish. Yep, that was it. That was it. Um, Anything more you want to add before I go into the aftermath on that? Um, I I love that they kept the ambiguity of who was Mm -hmm. Paul Heyman trying to help. You know what I mean? Yeah. But at the same time, um, I thought it was, I I thought they, they handled this match. This was the best Roman Reigns Brock Lesnar match I've ever seen. Same here. As far as the back back and forth and all that, it was the best match between these two guys. We've seen several uh, that I've ever seen. Um, I think Lesnar looked meaner. He looked stronger. He looked angrier than he's looked in any other. And then he's looked in, you know, a long time. But, uh, you know, and Reigns, the, the, the thing about Reigns that people overlook is, is that how he keeps his composure through the entire match. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, does he have backup? Of course he does. Yeah, does he have Heyman? Yeah, he does. Whatever. Well, maybe he does in this case. Who knows? But, you know, um, but Reigns always holds his shit together and stays involved, you know. Um, and part of it is demonstrated by his new, you know, his new... uh move set with the guillotine and stuff like that, but it's just uh Roman looks like a much more uh a much more confident competitor than he used to, you know? Mm-hmm. Brock still looks like an animal off the chain, which is good. That's what he needs to be, you know? And he looks great doing it. But I swear to God, you know, this this match was great. Um, I love the I love that Lesnar and Ranger both laying there, and Heyman just throws the belt, seemingly in the middle of them, and says, <laughs> "You know what to do with it." You know, it's like it's almost like it's a toss up for him. Yeah. And then the look, the the facials that Heyman was given on the way out were like he wasn't sure if Roman was mad at him or not. You know, I mean, he's like. He wasn't positive like where his standing is right now, you know? And uh, it's, you know, I I thought that this was the best storyline that WWE pulled off all night long. Oh, yeah. I mean, even Paul Heyman did the same night when when the the card started off, you know, uh, the very next night on Friday Night SmackDown. It's like Paul Heyman just stayed behind. Roman Reigns the whole time and just stared him down like 
he was waiting for a fucking punch or for him to kick his ass because it's like, as you said, it's like he didn't know where he stands with Roman Reigns right now. No. So, anyways, after Crown Jewel went off the air, Brock Lesnar stated that he was coming to SmackDown. Uh, he was going to come to tear Roman to shreds. That wasn't his exact quote, but it's close enough to the point. So, um, so the very next night, um, I don't have no notes written down for this, so I'm just I'm uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get to it. We we'll get to it. Yeah. So uh, the next night, Friday Night SmackDown, uh, they, the, the show kicks off with Roman Reigns coming to the ring. Um, Paul Heyman staring him down. He doesn't know where his spot's at, where he stands with uh, with the Tribal Chief, the Ro- Roman Reigns. Um, so anyways, he comes to the ring. He's issuing. And he's building it up for Brock Lesnar to come out to the ring. And then he's like questioning Paul Heyman, like he's got something to do with it. Because why would Brock Lesnar say all these things and not come out? Why, why, why Heyman? And Heyman's like, I don't know. I don't, you know, it's like, it's like, it's like he's giving him that shrug show. It's like, what do you want me to do? It's like, you know. And he's, and they're feeding this in, I think, for like the first 10 minutes. I think they went through like a commercial break and they came back. They came back, Roman Reigns is still talking and he's still waiting. He's pretty much saying the fact that I am not going to leave the ring until Brock Lesnar comes out. So, and and he's just putting his spots in on the mic that that how basically Brock Lesnar's looking soft. He's afraid to come out there, or is he even there? Um, and uh, he's questioning Paul Heyman that is is he here? Does he say? I mean, it's like you know, and Paul Heyman's still scared at this point. So. Because let's let's say like something did happen in Saudi Arabia where his flight got held back or whatever. So, uh, so there there was no guarantee. He said he's going to come to SmackDown, but there's no guarantee that he was absolutely going to be there that night. So once when Brock Lesnar said that he was going to come to SmackDown, honestly, it could have been any night. It could have been the next week or the week after that because he's still stating the fact that I'm coming to SummerSlam, but does it have to be that next night? No, it doesn't. But guess what happened? He came out to the ring. Brock Lesnar's music hits. Um, he goes right after Roman Reigns. Uh, they tie up on the floor. I guess he throws them onto the table, throws them to, toward the mat, whatever. Then that's when all the referees and I guess security guards and all that kind of stuff, they came out there. Uh, Brock Lesnar was getting pissed off because how they were trying to hold him back. And what's and, and and I don't have this written down, but this I've noticed this on on this segment too. The Usos come out to protect Roman Reigns, but what I don't understand is when all the chaos and everything was happening, the way how Usos came out, they came out from underneath the ring. So you mean to tell me the Usos have been hiding underneath the ring the whole fucking time that Roman Reigns has been getting his ass kicked by fucking Brock Lesnar? Yeah, that was uh, weird. I, you know, I, I yeah, I just didn't understand it. So Lesnar's getting pissed. He's grabbing the officials, throwing them around, throwing everybody around like a fucking rag doll. He's grabbing the fucking can recorders. He's breaking it over damn Roman Reigns' head. He throws it down to the ground, all that kind of stuff. So, um, what's his name? Adam Pierce. He signals to the whole fucking roster to come down to get it between them two. He picks a fight with a few of them. And they're trying to reason with Brock Lesnar, just like let them know, hey, settle down, settle down, yada yada. So finally, everything gets pushed off to the back in the back room. They, I think, they go to another commercial break. Well, Adam Pierce is standing in the middle of the ring, 
talk about the chaos that Brock Lesnar did um, and how what, what he did was uncalled for. He grabbed the officials. He, you know, he's, he's ruined uh, – he's damaged equipment, the then camera sets, yada, yada. So Adam Pierce says, I have no – I have no other choice other than to suspend you indefinitely. And that's when Brock Lesnar makes his way back into the rap in the ring. He's kind of like signals for Adam Pearce. Like, I didn't, I didn't completely hear you. What'd you say? What'd you say? You know? And so anyways, he goes into the middle of the ring and Lesnar starts choking the crap out of Adam Pearce with his tie and his collar, you know, just yanking it and jerking it around, but just really choking him. And he says, what, what'd you say to me? What'd you say to me? You know? And, yeah. And Pierce is like is being choked to death, saying, "I have I have no other choice. I, I mean, this this decision was made from higher up. This 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 is what we have to do." And and by this time, after everything's been said or whatever, I don't have the exact wording. I don't have the exact notes, but I know Brock Lesnar put Anna Pierce and he put him on the F five. He picked him up again, but when he did the second F five, it's like his damn clothes ripped off. His shirt was ripped. His fucking pants were ripped. So at this point, I get I think the EMTs came out or the or the doctors in the back that checked up on them and they had to have him carried out. So um, I guess that is a good spot for him to get suspended. So now they can save him up for another time. Like maybe, I don't know. I don't want to say Survivor Series, but they could save him up for like Royal Rumble or WrestleMania or whatever a big money card, you know, pay-per-view comes up. Because now that gives Robert Reigns the opportunity to have other feuds after the draft has been enforced on this night for people like Drew McIntyre or whoever comes in play. So Yeah, it's kind of what it felt like. Yeah. So um, what, what are your thoughts on what might be the future that might hold up for Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar being I think we're I think we're headed for Reigns and, and Lesnar at WrestleMania. I do. I think that okay. that's, that's what we're driving at. I think but that – there has there, – I'm sorry to cut you, but there has been rumors about they're trying to build up for like the Rock versus Roman Reigns at WrestleMania. If we were if we were going to see the Rock at WrestleMania, we would have seen him by now, in my opinion. Okay. Um. Now we might see him at Survivor Series, and I, and I might be wrong. I might be t- a couple of weeks off, and that's fine. But uh, I'm just saying, I think if we're going to see the Rock, we would have seen him by now. Um, I think we're building up Lesnar and Reigns for WrestleMania. I think Lesnar may show up, and he might even show up for the Rumble. You know what I mean? And if he does, that's going to be a hell of a thing. Uh, wow. Uh, just just imagine Brock Lesnar being a part of the World Rumble and just throwing everybody out of the ring. Yeah. Well, yeah, not being the guy that's expected to win everything anyway. You know, just let him show up as a surprise entrant at like number 20 or something, you know? Mm-hmm. And then at that point, I'm not sure who the fuck bets against Brock Lesnar in the Royal Rumble, but, you know, maybe somebody does. Um, you know, but and if Lesnar can come in at the Rumble, win the Rumble, and then you know who he wants. You know he wants Roman Reigns. Doesn't matter who the champ is on the other side. makes no difference. And, uh, you know, that's, to me, that's the optimal thing. That's what I would want to see. Mm-hmm. But I do think that however we get there, that's, that's where we're getting, is is Roman Reigns, Brock Lesnar at the next WrestleMania. Okay. Um, and that's all I have in my notes for, uh, for WWE. I know we kind of jumped past um, Raw because – 
what Rob was getting to the point was was Crown Jewel. And as I said before, I didn't want to cover everything. I know you don't watch Raw that much, and I seriously don't watch Raw that much unless it's like important segments come in. I might watch like maybe like, I don't know, 15 minutes or whatever, it, or I might watch a highlight on YouTube or something. Sure. But um, if, so, if something interesting comes across and I hear about it, and if I want to look back at it, yeah, I could look back at it. But um, is there anything from in the last week or whatever has happened in WWE that you wanted to cover that you want to say? No, I think we've got it covered pretty much. I think we've hit the high notes. Um, okay. D- WWE has, you know, they, they, they have their spots where they look good. And then they have a lot of just filler is what it feels like. It feels like a lot of just, you know, oh, well, we've got minutes filmed on live TV. Yeah. And what's sad about that is that they've got really good talent doing this filler episode bullshit, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's what sucks. And again, you know, I'm not a AEW diehard or whatever. I love I, I love wrestling, period. I don't care what the night what the acronym is. But mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's 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 I just I wanna see I wanna see more programs like Lesnar and Reigns. I want to see more programs like what they're building Page and Omega to be. I want to see more of that across the board on whichever show we watch. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the better the wrestling is, the more I want to watch it, period. That's all, you Mm -hmm. know? Oh, yeah. And the more it stays the same, the more I'm going to find something else to do and catch it on the replay, (laughs) you know? Uh, And that's all there is to it. But, uh, again, um, also, I mentioned last night that I ordered a uh, FDR shirt, the Midnight Express Special Edition FDR shirt, you know? Yeah. I, also, on that same order, I ordered the new House of Black shirt. Oh, wow. I did, and it's pretty cool, you know? Um, it's got the skull on the back, and on the front, it's just on the front, like where the, the pocket would be, it says House of Black. And on the back, it's got the skull, you know, kind of the outline of Alistair or Malachi Black's face uh, with the eye, the, the dark side, and the whole thing. And there are, you know, they're like antlers and spider webs and stuff like that. It's really cool. It's pretty badass. So I'm hoping to have that. Uh, uh, hopefully, have it at least before Halloween. I've got a couple of shirts I'm hoping to get in before Halloween. So I have one to wear for when all the lovely little children come to my house here in deepest, darkest crossful to uh, get candy. <laughs> you know, and speaking of that, uh, um, you know, recently here at WWE, <laughs> they had, they had like a, like a 50% off their t-shirt sale. And I just kept looking through their t-shirts and there was a couple I wanted to get. And then I got sidetracked. I just didn't purchase them and stuff like that. And I know they had like, you can just pay it all at once, or they have like a payment plan that you can just put like I don't know, like fifteen dollars. Yeah, shit, but you know, at so, some at some point, I will buy a replica belt. I'm sure, but I okay, just, yeah, I, I haven't, I haven't hit that point yet to where it's like, I okay, yeah, I want to spend that money, you know, um, mm-hmm. but at some point, I will have a replica WWE belt. I will just because I've got so much wrestling crap around here that I feel like I should have a belt. I'm not going to carry it to a live show and look like a damn 
stooge standing out there holding it in the crowd. But you know, I would I will eventually at some point have one and have it decorated out in my house. You know, so. Yeah, so I'm if guessing I, maybe the re- I guess the reason why I just didn't really was gotten too serious on ordering anything because I'm I don't know what it is, but I'm expecting like maybe like a Black Friday sale on WWE Network. Uh, I'm sure there will. I'm sure. Yeah. The shop, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. There will be. There will be for sure. But uh, yeah. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, there's a lot that going on out there. So, uh, we can, you know, keep, uh, keep, keep our eyes open, find what we want and stuff like that. But uh, when it came to the FDR Midnight Express shirt and the, uh, House of Black shirt, sorry, man. Um, I, I just, it had to happen. Uh, so, you know, I normally, you know me, I don't, I I don't want to spend, uh, 25, around $25 per t-shirt. You know, yeah, I don't. I really don't either. But uh, I saw those two, and I was like, "Oh, I got a hat," and I did. So, well, I know they, they have T-shirts on pro wrestling teams. I would like to have just like a. I was a WWE shop, and I was looking through the shirts. The ones that were half off or whatever, but um, the ones that caught my interest that were on the sale, like the Heart Foundation. Like I don't have a Heart Foundation T-shirt. I thought that would be cool. And they yeah. have this one. They have this one T-shirt. Where it's going, the, the lettering is going up. It says Austin 316, and they have like the half of Saul, and it's got the blue smoke coming out of the ice. It's like one of the King of the Ring shirts. I thought that was cool. And I just, I, I just, I don't know. I just didn't really totally invest in it. But here's another thing I noticed in the WWE shop, they have a Bad Street USA fucking Fabulous Freebirds t shirt. And the only reason why I didn't get the shirt is because. So there's one on pro wrestling tees. They have the Bad Street USA writing in the front and on the back on the back of the shirt, which on the WWE shop, they don't have no letters on the back, but on the one on pro wrestling tees, they have the letters in the back that says, the further you went down the block, the better it got. I was like, I yeah. would rather have that shirt, you know? <laughs> yeah, I would too, 100%. 100%. So, yeah. yeah, they have... They have different colored shirts on there. They have the red with the black lettering, but the shirt I would like to get is the black shirt with the red lettering. I, I was like, yeah. If I'm gonna if I'm gonna get a fabulous Freebird T-shirt, that's the one I would definitely want to get. Well, I mean, you think this Bad Street USA is a good start? Because yeah. honestly, you know, I mean, unless they make a shirt that says Freebird Road, then uh, <laughs> then then we're not gonna top it. That's all there is to it. So. But yeah, but no, Bad Street USA, the Freebirds, my goodness, what a, what a, what a time capsule that is, you know, of the Freebirds with Bad Street USA. That's the shit. Um, I wish, I wish WWE would put out like a whole set, like a DVD set or something like that, or Blu-ray. I I wish they would. Nothing of the fabulous Freebirds, you know. I know that Cornette has got some sets on his website. Well, of course, it's not open right now, but, uh. He's got some sets on his website that has a lot of Freebird shit on it. Okay. In Mid South or in Houston and stuff like that. Uh, you yeah. Have look, you have to like cross reference your dates and stuff like that to be sure you're getting what you want to get. But uh, there's a lot of the you can find a lot of footage of the Freebirds on some of the old school tapes. You know. Well, I know back in back in the territory days. I don't know if you know this. Uh, I don't know if you can answer this question or not, but. Back in the territory days, 
what area was Alabama considered? And was a continental? Continental had a promotion, I think, that ran out of Birmingham. I will say Birmingham, but I could be wrong. Okay. Um, and then, of course, the Carolinas ran through here. And uh, Memphis would do spots here. Or Tennessee. And that was, that was Mid-South, that, that mid right? Mid-South, yeah. Uh, Tennessee would do spots here. Um, there's also a, there was also a promotion, I think, if I remember correctly, and this uh, this might get eaten live by somebody like who really is a historian. But uh, there's a Southern State uh, promotion that ran. But I remember, I do remember watching Continental Championship Wrestling on the weekends mm-hmm. on TV, and I remember that Bullet Bob Armstrong was always the biggest baby face in the company. Always. And then every now yeah. and again, because it because and because they were part of the NWA, Ric Flair would show up occasionally. Dusty Rhodes would show up occasionally. You know? The Rock and Roll mm-hmm. Express would show up occasionally. But Bullet Bob Armstrong would show up. And uh, he was always the, the top baby face in the company. I also remember somebody, I think it might have been Jimmy Del Rey, but I'm not sure throwing the Alabama heavyweight championship into the uh, Tennessee river on live TV. Cause he thought it was stupid. <laughs> well, so. what you said that, that, that reminds me of that spot when, uh, when they had that robbery against the rock and Steve Austin and Steve Austin threw the damn intercontinental title in the fucking river. So yeah. I guess maybe they just took a play out of the playbook from that segment. It sounds well, like. I'm sure, I'm sure continental wasn't the first one to do it either. I'm just saying that, yeah, you know, I mean, that's not, that's that's not a new. That wasn't a new thing in the nineties. You know what I mean? Yeah, that was, that was yeah, but yeah, Continental Championship Wrestling. And I remember it was Gordon Soley. Gordon Soley was the uh, the uh, the head guy, the main MC for that show. You know, mm-hmm. and, and uh, that was my that was my introduction to him, and he's a highly regarded as one of the classic wrestling commentators of all time was Gordon Soley. So it was, uh, yeah, I remember it though. I watched it all the time and, uh, it was, it was a lot of fun. Was, uh, was Harley race involved in any of that? The first time I saw Harley race, um, and this is sad. Because again, me being the big wrestling fan that I am, I, I just missed out on things because of my age. Yeah. The first time I saw Harley Race was on late night WWE television. Okay. Um, versus some jobber, and his finishing move was the uh, superplex or the uh, slingshot suplex, where he would bounce him off the top rope and then, and then do a vertical suplex. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. While he had while he had him upside down. And, uh, and then he eventually became King Harley race. And then, uh, he ended up at rest by WrestleMania three. I think it was, he had the, uh, the feud going with the junkyard dog. Okay. So, yeah, but no, I mean, I, I never got to see Harley race in his prime when he was, you know, just an absolute animal fighting Ric Flair and Terry Funk or whoever, you know what I mean? Yeah, it says it right here back in 1986 that he was the king of the ring. He, he won it, yeah. He was uh, adopted the name King Holy Race, yeah. 
Yeah, he See, was. I wish I, I wish I was a good wrestling historian because I would like to go back and learn this this type of stuff that I don't even know. Uh, I mean, I know you've been watching wrestling a, a, a lot longer than what I have, and I figured maybe you caught up on some of the stuff back in the 80s and stuff that I missed because, as I said before, I didn't start catching it until it was like probably the very early 90s or the late 80s, back when I was just a little boy. I'll be sitting on the floor. Because you remember back in the day when they had like the TVs that would that would sit on the floor, no entertainment center, fucking TV. Yeah, the, the, big, the big box ones, yeah. Yeah, and you turn the damn knob, and it's like you only got just a couple of channels and shit. Yeah, well, I would sit down, and I would watch, like, you know, like, uh, the Saturday main event. And, like, I think – I don't know if Tuesday Titans were was going on back then, but um, I remember seeing a couple of segments. But I just remember people like the Million Dollar Man said DiBiase coming out, and he's probably one of the greatest heels at that time. And the Macho Man and Ric Flair and Hulk Hogan. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, and Jake the Snake Roberts, and we just stuff like that back in the golden years. So what we should do one day is we should just sit down, and we should just, uh, you know, catch a lull, and when some, you know, maybe it's during Christmas break or whatever. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. we can just sit down and start talking about the memories we have from when we were younger. Yeah. Of what wrestling used to be like. You know what I'm saying? Oh yeah. So. Um, but anyway, I don't want to drag this thing out any longer than we already have because we've already been going for well, two and a half hours. And, you know, we don't need to do three hours every night. Or we're going to start losing interest. So, but, yeah, exactly. Uh, Not only that, I don't want to, I don't want to try to lose sleep just in the back and back in the pondering in the back of my head since we're talking about buying stuff and shopping on WWE. I, you know, oh, I no. I mean, I could go, I could go all night long, but I just don't need to, you know? You know? Yeah. Yeah, I know me and you both. I know me and you both are still waiting on our cornet stuff here. So yeah, I mean that's it. So why it's not just cornet stuff I'm waiting on. I've got more. I've got plenty of cool wrestling stuff and other stuff on its way here that I'm, you know, I've I've been putting off picking up for a while, and I decided to go ahead and get. So, but yeah, man, let's uh, let's. You know, we'll get together and do another one that whenever you're ready. It doesn't matter to me. Um, okay. And and then we'll set aside maybe a certain day. Okay. All right. To uh, you know, to where maybe there's not a lot of wrestling going on, or maybe you know we're just we're kind of between segments or whatever, and we can talk about our biggest memories or like you know our biggest memories or what sticks out to us the most. When we were young, mm-hmm. what we remember, you know, yeah. maybe, maybe we didn't notice it then, but we know how important it was now. You know what I mean? Yeah. And the bad thing is, is like just life goes by so fast that you get at a certain age that sometimes it's hard to backtrack how things were back when you were five or seven or nine years old and you know, what's whatsoever. Yeah, it is. It's hard, but if you get talking enough about it, stuff starts coming back to you. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, we covered everything that we need to cover for um, for WWE. Uh, maybe we could just bide by some time to have some more wrestling happen, and we could cover. Maybe we get back together and cover all grounds of what happened over the weekend on Dynamite and Rampage. But Rampage 
uh, not Rampage, but Dynamite comes back to its official spot on this coming Wednesday night. So that's right. Yeah, I'm sure the, so the be, viewership. Go ahead. Yeah, Dynamite be Wednesday. We have SmackDown Friday, and uh, we'll see how SmackDown turns out. I don't know how that's going to go, but then we'll have Rampage okay. on Saturday night, and we'll also have to see how that kind of goes. So uh, okay. we'll have something to talk about. Okay, most definitely. Yeah, but man. Uh, thanks for doing this with me. It's it's always oh, uh, I love it. I love it. Time. It's always a fun time and a pleasure, man, talking wrestling with you, and especially on the podcast. Heck yeah, man! I love it. I'm I'm enjoying myself. I'm uh I get to talk about something I love with but with uh, one of my best friends, and you know it's it's uh nothing to complain about there. Yeah. All I right, so I guess I we're gonna. You having me. I guess we're gonna close the show. On, is that, is that appropriate? Can anybody hear that? <laughs> so, everybody gets good. Go ahead. Everybody, 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 everybody get a listen to that. Everybody get a good, uh, everybody, everybody understand what's going on there? <laughs> yeah, everyone's going on. So, yeah, so it's uh, another great segment, man, on, on the push. And, um, and then hopefully we can do another one where we can cover – uh, maybe whatever happened this past weekend on Dynamite, but I would definitely like to do another one, uh, a follow-up of what's going on in the world of AEW, most, most definitely. So, Absolutely. Let's do it. Just We'll get together. You know you know how to get a hold of me. We'll do it. Okay. Oh, so I guess this closes the segment, and for the people that first listened to this, man, I appreciate the, you know, um, the sponsorship or whatever. I, I appreciate you listening to Bell. Especially as long as we dragged it on, I know when it comes to me and you, Pat, we could talk about wrestling for such a long time. So, yeah, well, I mean, that's we're getting better at paring it down a little bit, but well, it's just gonna take some time, you know. So, yeah. I mean, okay. that's all it is. Yeah, because we're running in the times of damn the Jim Cornette experience here, going down two and a half, three hours, whatever. So, yeah, like we worked it forty years, which we didn't. No, which we really didn't. We're just naming stuff and spots from a friend's, uh, from a fan's, you know, opinion and aspect of what they would like to see or what they love to see or spots they love and spots they don't like. And, you know, so I'm, I mean, we're both in the same boat. We're going to call out stuff that we love and we're going to call out shit that we don't like. And as I said, that's the, that's the beauty of being a wrestling fan because everybody is not the same. Yeah. I I never claim to be an expert. I just claim to be an expert on what I like. That's all it is. Exactly. So, yeah, that, uh, I guess we're going to close the segment with that, man. Matt, uh, I appreciate you doing this with me again, and I'm glad we're actually doing this and getting the ball running, and hopefully we'll do another one soon, maybe just maybe within a few days or this coming weekend or something. Sounds good to me. All right, man. Uh, well, take it easy, Pack. I'll talk to you soon. And for everyone listening to the podcast, man, until next time, thank you for listening. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for listening. This is Mike from the Main Push Podcast. That is right. I just want to reach out to my listeners and say thank you for your time and thank you for your support. Uh, Support me of what I love the most, and that is wrestling.